And so this is story is stamped in. She gets to become an adult. She realized does some tests. Turns out <laughs> she just has a serious sensitivity to gluten. And I think it was dairy. She cut those two things out and she got off of all the medications within a year from spending her entire life since she was a kid with a story that this is who you are. You were somehow your brain was formed different or whatever this freaking story was. And it was just a story about two food groups. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hey, hey, buddies. Welcome back to Better with Dr. Stephanie. Tis me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. And man, do I have a treat for you today. My conversation is with Elle Russ. And I first met Elle when I was on her podcast, The Primal Blueprint, which is uh, Mark Sisson's uh, podcast that Elle has had up for the, you know, out of the six or seven years that it's been in uh, uh, on the airwaves, Elle has headed up six years of it. And Elle is such a dynamic, individual and so interesting uh, in her pursuit. So she herself is uh, someone who has gone through the uh, ranks, we'll call it, of trying to diagnose and get help for her thyroid condition and has was dismissed by many many allopathic physicians, some you might call celebrity physicians. Uh, we don't name any names in this, uh, in this podcast, but keep it classy. Uh, but she does give some, um, maybe nods to who those, <laughs> who those doctors might be to avoid. And, um, we talk are we're talking all about thyroid function today. So we get into all so much detail. When you are listening to this show, I am going to encourage you to have a notebook and a pencil and that little uh, button that uh, repeats the audio uh, every 15 seconds. You're probably going to want to use that a couple times. We go into incredible detail into lab values. We get into TSH and total T4 and free T4 and T3 uptake and total T3 and free <laughs> free T3 and reverse T3. Man, do we talk about reverse T3. Uh, and then we talk about the thyroid antibodies, thyroid peroxidase and thyroglobulin antibodies. We talk about the free T3 to the reverse T3 ratios. We talk about conversion problems from T4 
to T3. We talk about ferritin. Man, do we talk about ferritin and iron and heme iron and what elevated ferritin has been linked to, you know, a number of physiological processes, most notable of which is, of course, inflammation. And we get into the liver and the gut. We talk about veganism and the problem, and that's related to the iron and the ferritin um, issue. And then we talk a little bit about, I think, the tendency of many women, whether it's starting a new diet or continuing on the diet that maybe used to work for you, but you're not finding it working so much anymore, this over-exercising, overly calorically restricting, uh, where we are affecting T4 to T3 conversion, which of course is going to affect your fertility and your ability to get pregnant and stay pregnant. Um, We talk about uh, solutions for uh, hypothyroid and Hashimoto's. So we talk about sort of the uh, traditional allopathic approach, which is T4 only. So that might be something like Synthroid. Uh, we talk about non-desiccated, uh, n- pardon me, natural desiccated thyroid or NDT or compounded thyroid hormone, which is a combination of both T4 and T3. And then the last um, option, uh, which l Uh, talks a lot about, you'll hear her repeat this several times through our conversation, that this is a last resort, sort of a last ditch approach, which is T3 only. And she talks about how to pulse it, when to pulse it, um, and maybe other things to consider like detoxing, uh, fasting, um, trying to clear up heavy metals as a way to augment thyroid function. We do get a little bit into paleolithic and ketogenic uh, diets as a way to support over the long term. And overall, I mean, Elle, like I said, she is a firecracker. She is so passionate and really talks about her own experience very candidly. And I hope that you are going to uh, that you are going to really enjoy this conversation. So without further delay, please enjoy this very geeky, very magical conversation with L. Russ. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause. And mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause, and there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. All right. Well, I am so excited. I have with me Elle Russ on the show today. Welcome, Elle. Welcome to BETTER. Hi, so happy to be here. And it was so such a great conversation with such great feedback of having you on the uh, the Primal Blueprint podcast. 
that's when we came on. So yeah, and we had, I mean, you've since we can talk a little bit about your new podcast, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, had a really great conversation with you. And then we were chatting afterwards and I was like, you know what, you need to come on to talk about the thyroid because my Betty's, uh, we talk a lot about how we can, um, you know, we sort of have this blend, at least I like to think that there's a blend of ancient wisdom and modern science in terms of how we make better decisions for how we eat, how we move, how we think, you know, for our families, for, you know, relationships, all of that. And I think that the thyroid is such a, uh, poorly managed, especially when we're talking about this in the context of hypothyroidism of Hashimoto's, uh, thyroiditis. So I think I'm, I'm really excited for this little, we're going to, we're just going to totally nerd aren't we're going to have a little nerd uh nerd out session today so i'm really excited for it um i think when as we're kind of wading into these waters of thyroid health and metabolism i one of the things i found so striking in um in our conversations and just in doing research for our show today is your own uh history i was saying to you in the pre-chat you know your um we'll call it your discovery of potentially the, the, the shortcomings, uh, of thyroid management in the allopathic model. And I think that if you would be so willing to share your own journey with your, how you were feeling, what people, people were telling you, what the, you know, what the discovery was and how you ended up kind of coming full circle and just healing thyself, doctor, you know, like how you ended up sort of fixing it yourself. I think that would be, would have set a really nice groundwork and and pre-frame for what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So what I actually really am a great example of is you do not have to be an MD to understand whatever you've been diagnosed with. Right. You know, you can if you understand it on a theoretical level, you understand it enough to be asking the right questions or know that you're with the wrong practitioner. But this is sort of how I became an accidental expert in this. Um, and by the way, lots of uh, the other thyroid authors, too. I only recommend two other thyroid authors, Jeannie Bothorpe and Paul Robinson, who are also patients. And the best selling thyroid books have been written by patients for a reason, because we, we know how how it feels. We understand we've done all the N equals one with the thyroid hormones and we really understand what it's like. We really empathize. Um, But on that same note, why, why is it that a doctor hasn't written the best-selling thyroid? You know, why isn't someone who's trained? What did they miss? Why do I know more than a doctor? That just seems crazy, but yet it's true like 99% of the time over the world. And it, it really is because doctors just weren't trained in the way that they should be. And so unless you're going above and beyond what you learned in medical school, such as a functional medicine doctor, naturopathic physician, chiropractor, people that are really geeking out, going above and beyond, constantly searching, those are the doctors that really are in the know about this. Not all of them, but that's where you're gonna, you're gonna get your best bet. So what happened to me was um, I, this is before paleo primal ancestral, any of this stuff came out many, many years ago. So I was like 30 years old. never had any gynecological issues my whole life. All the women in my family, perfectly healthy. And I uh, was in the pursuit of acting career in Los Angeles. I'm, I'm still an actor. I still occasionally go out for auditions and stuff, which people find is pretty funny. But so when I first got here, that was my intention. And in order to be a leading lady in the Hollywood industry, not necessarily now, but it still kind of is the case, you had to be fit. Yeah, it was pretty obvious. Like you'd go to casting director's office, you realize you have to look like an athlete if you want to be the leading lady. So that's what I did. And I thought I was doing it the right way by following sort of like the eat every two, three hours, keep your insulin sensitivity. The zone was very popular at this time. And so I was doing that, but I really wasn't sure what I was doing. I was probably eating a low carb, low fat diet, which was a horrible combination as I know your, your, your buddies know. And 
uh, I thought I was doing everything right because I did have the body, but I was suffering on the inside. I was obsessed with food. I was thinking about it all the time. I get so hangry and hypoglycemic. I, I couldn't even drive like from Hollywood to Malibu. It was like a 45 minute drive without freaking out in the car and like pulling over and trying to shove an apple and some meat in my mouth from the deli. Like it, it, it was just a struggle. And I remember at the time going, Oh my God, I think I might have to go to overuse anonymous. Like I'm obsessed with food, even though I looked the pillar of like what you would see on shape magazine at the time, like, Oh, she's an athlete. And I thought to myself is is everyone else who's fit also suffering silently? Is it just me? I didn't know there was another way to achieve it. I didn't know there was another way. So again, I was on a very wrong dietary paradigm. Now, who knows whether all of these things were the perfect soup to cause a thyroid problem. I have a suspicion that I had thyroid issues when I was a teen, then they might've resolved and they came back. And some people kind of feel that way throughout life. So I wonder if I had some hypothyroidism sort of creeping up all along. I Either way, my lifestyle and paradigm and eating schedule was was certainly bad. And I was overworking out too. So I was doing chronic cardio. And uh, then uh, I just started to get an onslaught of symptoms. I started to have horrible acne and I had perfect skin. My curly, I straightened my hair today, but my, I have curly hair. My curly hair, uh, I got loss of curliness. My hair started falling out in droves. I became so constipated, even laxatives wouldn't work. I, um, I mentioned about 40 symptoms in my book and I had about 30 of them. So they ranged anywhere from gaining rapid weight. And when I say that, I mean, you could eat nothing for three days and you've gained weight. Like, so there's nothing you can do. And that's a horrible place to be because you're out of control. And you think that all of the things that normal people out there do to lose weight then will apply to you. So you do them, which is the wrong thing to do. And I'll get into that later, but essentially it makes you crazy because you're trying to do all of the things that should work and they don't work. So rapidly gaining rate, any kind of gynecological issues at the time, my uh, hypothyroidism, and it often does with women, it will manifest itself gynecologically. So for me at the age of 30, I started to get my period all the time, which is absolutely not normal. And I didn't know better at the time. So what did my Western doctor do? What every Western doctor do would do? Let's put a pill on this. Let's patch this symptom, but let's not ask and investigate why is a 30 year old with healthy and perfect gynecological history suddenly bleeding out of nowhere? Okay. So no one asked that question. I didn't ask that question. I was a dummy. Kept putting me on birth control pills. I kept bleeding through them. Tested my thyroid. Your thyroid's fine. Work out more, need less. And he hit my gym shoes with his hand. I said, hey, buddy, I'm working out two hours a day. Do not tell me. <laughs> right. It's like, there's no more room for working there's out. There's no more room for any more yeah. working out or dieting over here. Yeah, He's yeah. like, well, it's not your thyroid. You know, I asked him to test my B12. This one doctor, he patronizingly left at me. Turns out I had to be 12 deficiency. So these are the things that happen. You get patronized by Western uninformed doctors who don't know better. And that's a really tough place to be, especially because when you are hypothyroid, you're an emotional wreck. So um, the symptoms range everywhere from like dry, cracked skin, uh, diagnoses of polycystic ovarian syndrome, infertility, uh, miscarriages often happen. Uh, never get pregnant uh, before you get your thyroid tested comprehensively. You do not want an, uh, a miscarriage that doesn't need to happen. And everything from heavy legs, restless legs, exhaustion. The worst thing about thyroid, aside from the physical manifestations that are the, the body breaking down, because essentially the thyroid is the master gland of the human body, not because I said so, because it is. So it's in charge of the regulation and production of all of our sex hormones. It's in charge of our body temperature and fat burning T3, which is the biologically active thyroid hormone. If you don't have enough of that, it doesn't matter what you try to do to lose weight, you're not going to burn the fat. So 
when you don't have any of these things, you're slowly dying. It's I, I aged more in this time. I looked older then than I do now. Like you see it, you feel it, you wake up with a puffy face, puffy eyes. Um, I mean, and there's, there's a million, there's a million symptoms in there. Um, So, so this was like really horrible. And so I went to doctor after doctor, I went to over two dozen endocrinologists, spoke with 12 of them, emailed them, would talk to them. Two dozen, two dozen, two dozen in LA. So I live in Los Angeles. 24. Wow. That's right. About 24. I met with at least half of them and then communicated with others. And I would know from communication that it was a waste of time to go see them. I paid $600 for a famous doctor from a Suzanne, Suzanne Summers hormone book to just test me correctly. And then once I was tested correctly and I realized what it was, uh, even though everyone else failed to do that, I thought, you know what? Y'all failed me. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to tell me how to fix it. Cause clearly you don't even know how to diagnose it. And so that's when I turned to Jamie Bullthorpe and her free patient thyroid forum on stop the thyroid madness, which was a Yahoo group before. And these fellow thyroid patients, uh, just like me had suffered for years and they kind of guided me into a direction where then I was able to go and help myself and figure it out. Um, and so I did, so I figured out and ordered my own thyroid hormones on the internet. No one helped me do this. No doctor helped me. And I fixed my first bout of hypothyroidism. Then a few years went by, I was doing well. I started to get hypothyroid symptoms again. And I thought, well, that's not possible. I didn't even think they could be hypo symptoms because I was on thyroid hormone replacement. Turns out I had uh, what's called a reverse T3 thyroid problem, which is a sort of resistance to one of the hormones. So I had to go for the second time in 10 years and figure this out myself, bawling my eyes out in the car in the parking lot of the doctors who had said, this is too complicated. Literally had a doctor throw her hands up and say that to me. Um, you don't want to hear what I said to her. <laughs> no, um, no, but what I Actually, said to her, I do. her was, is, what I did is I said, you know what, seriously, I go, so the MCATs weren't difficult. Medical school was not too complicated, but this, my situation is too complicated. Like, I, you know, you get, you were, I was left in the dust by doctor after and doctor. Like, thanks for giving up on me. Like, you know, yes. yeah. thank you. Thank you yeah. for, by the way, celebrities still see this doctor all the time and da, 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 and I'm like, all right, well, you know what, if, if, if those people are happy, that's great. But I see what a, what a terrible thing that was. So it was really awful and lonely. And again, I have a philosophy degree, like, I, you know, what math science. So I had to figure it out, you know, and I'm telling you, it's really not that hard to grasp, uh, once you understand on the level that I teach that write about and, and, and have grasped that. So then after that, on my second bout, I thought, you know what? more, even more doctors are uninformed about this particular problem, really uninformed. And I thought, oh my God, I'm left in the dust again by myself. I have to do this again by myself. So I did (laughs) by myself Ordered my medication on the internet from other countries. Like I shouldn't have had to go through all of that, but I did so that everyone else doesn't have to suffer for as long as I did. And some people suffer much longer, two decades, three decades. The thing about this that's so terrible is that it's 100% fixable. And I need to push this point home because if you're out there and your doctor goes, well, you know, yeah, I know you have depression, but you know, you're hypothyroid. So that's a symptom. No, it's not. Here's the difference. When you are treated properly, you are no longer hypo. You don't have one single hypothyroid symptom. So if a doctor is chalking up one of these symptoms to say, well, this is what you have. That's a doctor who doesn't understand how to treat you properly or fix the situation. And then they'll put you on Prozac and it'll last three months and then it won't last anymore because you never fixed the root in the brain, which was the T3. 
And we have more receptors here than anywhere else, which is another reason why when you get hypothyroidism, you often have these weird symptoms like messy handwriting. So brain to hand dexterity. You're, I'm an athlete, but if I were to stop my medication right now and I'd become hypo, I would be bumping into things, knocking over my water, like really klutzy. And you're like, oh my God, I, you know, these are strange things that happen. You also start to lose your cognitive abilities. And this is the one I like to mention because this is the scariest one that people do not uh, don't like to voice. It's weird to have the thought that you feel you're getting dumber or older in the brain and then like express it. Uh, you could either be depressed or have a general malaise. It usually starts with like, why even bother anymore? What is this all about? I don't even care. What's the point? Um, and then it can, you know, go further down from there. So it can be sort of start off with like not pursuing your goals and like kind of giving up on stuff and you don't care. And then it can really turn into serious depression, but also cognitive abilities. So while I am a fast talker and I'm bound to, you know, bumble my words every now and then, when you are seriously hypothyroid, you either can speak like you're slurring words, like you're drunk, um, or you cannot find the words. You have sort of like dyslexia of the mouth. I had that too. I, I started to notice I couldn't connect the words and, and, and you're reading, you can't retain information. And so you start to feel dumb and you start to feel like you're getting old, but it's a weird thing to express. So I like to tell everyone this because if this is you and you're feeling that way, that also is definitely a hypothyroid symptom. And, um, you know, there's things like brain fog that people mention. And if you're out there and you're wondering like, well, what is that? I always say everybody listening has had a cold before. And you know how it is when you're, you know, your sinus is all stuffy and you're just like staring into space. Nothing's fun. Your brain's not interesting. You don't want to watch a movie. You don't want to read like, like nothing's fun. You're just kind of brain dead staring into space. That's exactly what brain fog feels like without the stuffiness. And so, you know, you can get car accidents, you know, you're forgetful. There are people that have quit their jobs uh, for fear of getting fired because their brain no longer retains like their accountant and they can't remember numbers or, you know, and it's very, very scary. And so, I bring up those symptoms, you know, the mental ones, because people are a little bit more afraid to express them. I'm so glad you did, because one of the things I think that the pandemic has certainly highlighted is how much we disregard mental health. I mean, we, uh, you know, and we can talk about metabolic efficiencies and we can talk about how that is, you know, we often see comorbidities with, me, you know, metabolically inefficient patients when it comes to things like the pandemic. But one of the things that we have absolutely sacrificed is mental health and nobody wants to talk about it. We see increased suicidality in teens. We see increased mental health issues and no one wants, like no one wants to say, like to your point, I'm so grateful, uh, your candid honesty, like for you to feel like you're getting dumber. That's a really hard thing to admit, not only, not, not to your doctor, forget your, to yourself, Ugh. for you to, to, for you to say, I feel like I'm not as smart as I was. And often and often, so often, especially with women, it's like, well, that's perimenopause for you. you know? Right. Or, or it's like, well, uh oh, you know, I guess my Aunt Mary ended up a uh, recluse. Well, you know, maybe Aunt Mary had some problems we never addressed. Like, don't maybe she had up. a thyroid issue. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, maybe she's got right. Hashimoto's. Right. So that because, and I say that because I was having this conversation on an interview and one of my good friends who I've known for 10 years and more than 10 years, who's seen me through both of these thyroid bouts. Okay. She, I never thought about her having a thyroid problem until I get off the interview and I turn and she's crying. And I'm like, what? She goes, you just described. And it was all the mental stuff. Mm. She was too. And she had some recluse aunt that like, she just thought, oh, and she lived in this private fear of maybe I'm just, oh no. 
And I looked at her and I was like, oh my God, you know, I never thought to test you for thyroid. Like we didn't even think about this. Will we get her tested? She had Hashimoto's. I turned to her and I go, just be honest with me. Are you eating a ton of gluten lately? Just fucking just be honest. And she goes, oh my God, yeah, I am. And I go, all right, well, you know, that ends right now. And we can talk about why that's important um, for people with Hashimoto's. Within two weeks, she deflated like 10 pounds, bright eyes, amazing hair, the most miraculous, like, change you've ever seen in your life from just optimizing nutrients and cutting out and just following like a good paleo thyroid type of protocol. And it's, and, it, and it's just, it was so amazing. It was like talking to someone who's listless and not there and you kind of can't get their eyes almost like a drunk person. If you're talking to a drunk right, person, right, you're like, they're right, seeing right. through them. That's how it is when you're talking to someone who's really in a brain fog or seriously hypothyroid. It's like, you're kind of seeing through them. And I thought, Oh my God. And she just lit up and it was really, I think it scared the crap out of her, you know? Um, and it's a scary we, thing to think your it brain. is a scary thing. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you find out one day, like what, I have an autoimmune disorder, you know, what are you talking about? And also the day you find out like, sorry, you can't eat. <laughs> I mean, so, so <laughs> it's really that interesting that's why I talk about the mental stuff because the mental stuff is what even my best friend who knows has access to me and she had no idea that that was such a component. And we had, we've had, um, uh, psychologists on the program. We've had psychiatrists, we had Dr. Kelly Brogan on uh, maybe last year. And she was talking about, you know, when she sees someone with depression, she will test for deficiencies first. She will say like B12 thyroid panel first so often. And she was, she was describing one patient who had, you know, every time around her menstrual cycle would just have these psychotic episodes. And what they did was they, they were, you know, they were saying, oh, this is, you know, related to her menstrual cycle. And it's like, yeah, if you actually look at some of the physiology that happens in the week leading up to your menstrual cycle, we see decreased plasma glucose. We see decreased plasma B12, you know, uh, zinc and iron and all the things because your body is literally throwing all of these substrates into the endometrium to build it up. So she would have these psychotic episodes related to B12. So she started taking, and we'll get into like, you know, I know we'll get into remedies today, but B12, uh, magically, you know, I'm using, you know, using air quotes here, magically, you know, got rid of these psychotic episodes. So I think that that's really, um, and isn't that amazing. And, you know, I, uh, mentioned Holly Perkins in my book, she's like a celebrity fitness trainer. And she talked about how she's in her forties. Now she's been on some kind of antidepressant or mind altering, whatever, since she was 11, always thinking she had issues with the brain depression. And again, then you're so young and then your family's like, sorry, this is just the way your brain is. And so this is story is stamped in. She gets to become an adult. She realized does some tests. Turns out <laughs> she just has a serious sensitivity to gluten. And I think it was dairy. She cut those two things out and she got off of all the medications within a year from spending her entire life since she was a kid with a story that this is who you are. You were, you know, somehow your brain was formed different or whatever this freaking story was. And it was just a story about two food groups that fixed it. So I'm not surprised. We've seen that happen with a lot of people, even just like iron, iron can just completely fix everyone's problem. I mean, a dumb pill from the over the counter, right? So sometimes it's very easy. Sometimes it's more complicated, but either way, it definitely is fixable. So I want people to have hope because I know people out there are like, I've been struggling with my thyroid. I get these emails, you know, I've been struggling with my thyroid for 13 years. And I'm like, oh my God, why? Like that's 
that's that's wrong. That doesn't have to happen. And I want to share with everyone, too, the biggest part of that is the ignorance on the part of the patient, which was my problem. Now, granted, I'll give myself a little credit. Back then, there weren't podcasts. OK, there was there, there was nothing out there except for the, these wonderful women who were thyroid sufferers on a, on a forum. Now there are free podcasts. There are free thyroid guys. There's a hundred interviews of me talking, you know, there's access to the information. So the biggest gift or lesson I could give anyone is if you're diagnosed with something or you think you have a problem or you've been diagnosed, please do not just drop that in the hands of any doctor. You also have to learn about it. The more you learn about it, then the more you understand how to have a doctor help you, the more success you're going to have and perseverance pays. So that's what I do is when I'm coaching thyroid people around the world, it's really like, of course, we're talking about their specific situation and what they can go back to the doctor and go, okay, this is the dose I think I need. This is what I want to do. But also it's about educating them so they understand their own disease. 25 plus million Americans have a thyroid problem. 60% are undiagnosed. 200 million people in the world have it. Um, And the number one prescription in the United States is just one thyroid hormone. Most people, I'd be willing to bet money that 99% of the people that take that pill don't even know what it does. So what I find is that people are on thyroid hormone and then 20 years and then they're talking to me and they're struggling. And I go, well, did your doctor test that? Yeah, no, I'm sure they did. I go, I don't believe it. Go back and check every time. Didn't test it. Turns out their thyroid's all screwed up. And then what do they do? And they're sitting there in a pool of tears going, oh my God, how could my doctor have failed me by having me on the wrong thyroid hormone dosage, not looking at this, not understanding for 20 decades. And you go, how did you go two decades not knowing and learning? It's because we trust a doctor to save us. And I'm telling you all right now, please don't do that. They need to be our partners, but you cannot rely on them solely because you will keep going through doctors that then can't help. Absolutely. So well said. I think that, you know, as I think that there needs to be better training for doctors so that we can better serve our patients. Absolutely. But on the other end, I do think, um, no one is coming to save you and for you to be delegating your health to someone else. Um, and this is said with love, but it's foolish. You, when you are thinking that someone else is going to save you, and this is, you know, I want to, you know, I feel like this is, yeah, it's a a life lesson. Absolutely. I think that it is so important for you to create self-agency. Okay. I think that I'm having this. I'm going to listen to a podcast from Elle. I'm going to do some research on DuckDuckGo. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to, I'm going to find some of these forums and find and see if some of these symptoms fit and be able to have, because your, your doctor, um, also in many, in many cases, you know, especially if they're not the functional medicine kind that you were mentioning, the DCs, the NDs, the FMDs, um, they're, they're working on a timer, you know, like, and no, no fault to them, like, but they got 10 minutes with you. There's no way that they're going to be able to extract that information and be able to understand your clinical picture to the degree that they should. And that's unfortunately just the system. So you have to take that responsibility. It's not, you know, it's this idea of it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. Like if there's a baby that shows up on your door, it's not your fault, but it's certainly, it's your responsibility to take care of that baby, right? In the same way that if you have something that happens uh, to your thyroid or something, you know, health-wise, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility to figure out how we can, how you can move forward in the best way that's aligned with your core values and aligned with your health, health, uh, you know, your philosophical premises around health. Yeah. Okay. 
And I'm happy to, you know, if we want, I don't know how, I'm happy to get into detail because, you know, I want to give people detailed stuff. Yes. I want you to leave this podcast or this episode and realize you got enough information. You don't even have to read my book, right? Like, you know, I want to give details. So I don't know where you want to start first. I think the details might be best in describing the thyroid hormones and the whole feedback loop. And then we could get into tests and then dosing a little bit. And I can try to give as much as I can on, on those topics or can go anywhere. That you want right now. Funny enough, that's exactly what my itinerary dictates. So I wanted to talk about thyroid mechanics. So I wanted to, if we can give an, because I think that, you know, you said he tested my thyroid when you were talking about your doctor, he tested my thyroid and, uh, you know, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I, I'm almost certain that he did. It was just a TSH. Yeah, exactly. It was just a TSH. Exactly. So let's talk about, first, let's talk about mechanistically. What happens? Like, so we have sort of almost two parts. We have like a brain piece and we have a thyroid and, and somatic piece. So speak to us about the, how thyroid hormones come to be. Okay. So I'm going to be mentioning things like T4, T3, reverse T, like all these things. And they sound really complicated, but just trust me, if you have to listen to this over again, you'll get it. And also this diagrams in my book, but this is the best way to explain the way the thyroid works, I think. So you have at the base of your brain, something called the pituitary, and we can consider that in this situation, like a signal, a signal, a signaling center, uh, a sensor of some sort. And when your pituitary senses that your body is getting low in the life getting needed everyday thyroid hormones, it'll send out a signal, a wake up call to the thyroid. And that wake up call, the little that sent is called the TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. It's not a thyroid hormone. It's a pituitary hormone. It's a brain derived hormone. Yeah. Yeah, it is meant to just cast out a wake-up call to go, yo, yo, hey, do your job, start kicking out some more thyroid hormones because she's low now. It's a text. Right, it's a text message. When yeah. the, and, and I'm going to be describing it when the thyroid's working right, okay? And then I'll describe yes, how yes. it's wrong. So, so then the message is sent to the thyroid. A normal working thyroid goes, great, thank you. And it pumps out two things. A lot of something called T4 and a little bit of something called T3. I'm going to stop right there and I'll explain what those two things are. So, T4 and T3 are considered the main thyroid hormones, but one of them is only the one that actually does anything, kind of, called T3, all right? So what's T4? If, if T3 is the only biologically active thyroid hormone and those levels correspond to what we need, then why, don't, why doesn't the body just pump out T3? Because T3 is very fast acting and it's very powerful. So T4 is a storage hormone for T3. So what that means is you can imagine it like a lovely slow release mechanism in your body. Your, so the signal sent your thyroid, your thyroid pumps out maybe 80 to 90%. We're not totally sure, but that's roughly what we think of, of T4, maybe nine to 20% of T3. And then throughout the day, as your body needs T3, the T4 gets stored and it converts as needed into the powerful fire fat burning T3. And then whatever's not used of that T4 that has not converted will get kind of flushed out, you can say, through a process called reverse T3. Okay, so we got TSH sends a signal of thyroid, thyroid pumps out a lot of T4, a little T3 throughout the day of the T4 builds and converts as needed. Whatever's not used gets converted into something called reverse T3, which is the inactive form. Why would it do this? The reason it does it is such an elegant system. It's protecting you because T3 is like putting gasoline on a fire. 
Okay. So it's, 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 it's dialing it up and dialing it back. So let me give you a scenario where your thyroid is going to go. Oh my God, pull it back. So for example, let's say you are starving yourself, you're anorexic, you're overworking out, you're under eating, whatever. Having 1200 calories and you're doing too much cardio. That's right. You're, you're, (laughs) you're that chick. All right. Now in that situation, you are sending a signal to your system being like, She's starving. So what your thyroid does is goes, oh shit, she's starving or running from danger. Maybe both. We don't know. Adrenals are high, right? (laughs) Adrenaline, um, no nutrition, no fat, whatever. It starts to dial this back. It will start to convert more into reverse T3 because it's trying to save your life. And it's like, she didn't have food right now. Don't give her any more of that fat burning stuff. Let's dial it back. So it's saving you there. It's always, it's also going to do the same thing. Essentially, that's why your body would give you a miscarriage in this situation too, because it's like, she can't afford to have a baby right now. You know, if a guy has thyroid problems and they have low testosterone or issues with, you know, erections and stuff. Yeah. Same thing. It's almost like the primordial, it's like the primal sense of your body's going, do not procreate right now. You, you guys cannot take care of a baby. It's almost like that. I know that's weird to personify a human body, but if we can kind of think about it in that way, because that's it's one of the to, primary functions though, I think, yeah, you know, biologically. Say, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so we have, so the signals we send with diet, lifestyle, sleep, all the things you preach, that is all a soup that creates a healthy environment for a thyroid. So here's what else can happen. The signal can be sent to the thyroid and then the thyroid doesn't do its job and pump out th- thyroid hormones or signal is sent. Thyroid gets the message, pumps out the right thyroid hormones, but then the T4 cannot convert into the thing that matters. Another problem, um, Signal sent, thyroid, that not only con- doesn't convert at all, but it then over converts into reverse T3. So here's the thing that happens when you cannot convert the main hormone T4 to T3, you can have something called reverse T3 hypothyroidism, which is what I had on my second bout, which, and it's on the rise. There are more and more people that are having trouble converting the storage hormone to the active hormone. So then what do you do in that scenario? There's lots of remedies for that, but the last resort choice would be to do what I do, which is take T3 only, meaning I completely dismantle the feedback loop that I just talked about, dismantle the middleman and the storage hormone and take directly what I need. But that is not optimal. It is the last resort choice for a reason, because I have a human brain trying to decide when I need T3 or when I don't. And because it fluctuates and I don't have the T4 there to keep things steady, it can be problematic. It gets a lot of tinkering. It's a pain in the ass. I don't suggest it to anyone, but it is a lifesaver because if I could not take T3 only, I would probably be dead right now because I can't convert T4. So, so those are some of the issues. And if I miss something or want to clarify something within there, let me know. Um, but essentially that's how it works. Um, now, as far as tests go, these are the things that you test. I'm just going to rattle off the six main tests. Of course, I know you would suggest Stephanie to like, yes, get an iron panel, get your B12 tested. Yes, of course, all this stuff. But if you're like, do I have a thyroid problem? You get the following six tests. You always get them tested before 9.30 a.m. and do not take thyroid hormones before the test, no matter what anyone tells you. Um, you take them after the test if you're already taking thyroid hormones. Um, and so you go in fasting before 9.30 a.m. and you get TSH free T4, free T3, reverse T3. And then you also always want to rule out Hashimoto. 
photos as being the cause of your hypothyroidism. So you would check TPO antibody, stands for thyroid peroxidase antibody, and test TG antibody, thyroglobulin antibody. Both. You need both. You need both because you can be positive for one and not the other. And she's yep. so right in saying that because some doctors, they only test for one and they miss it completely. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what is Hashimoto's? What is... Ha- it's just a form of hypothyroidism that is caused by a faulty immune system. Your immune system makes a mistake and starts to try to murder your thyroid gland. Is this the same thing that happens with people with type one diabetes, right? Their immune system makes a mistake, starts attacking their pancreas and they can no longer produce insulin. So that is now there is some different modalities that happen with Hashimoto's, but essentially they feel the same. They, they kind of are the same. They are hypothyroidism. Great. The lab ranges, do you, um, can we talk about optimal? Cause for example, for TSH, I've seen labs where like five, (laughs) like they consider like a lab range from like, you know, 0.45 to like 5.5, which, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've read papers that, you know, having a TSH thyroid stimulating hormone, uh, north of 2.5 can actually increase. You have like a 69% increase of, you know, I'm not trying to be, um, um, I'm not trying to scare anyone, but you know, I've, I've seen papers where the higher your TSH is like 2.5 to 3.5, 69% uh, risk of dying from a heart attack or stroke. So for me, my optimal lab range for TSH is much tighter than well, what, I wonder what, you know what, I, I, I'm wondering about that in the sense that if they think over a certain level is because they would consider that hypo and then therefore hypo is a disease state that does affect the heart. Is that the domino game? on that one or potentially I, I, I don't know the, I'm, I'm I not, that, that might be it because, um, well, yes. Okay. So let's talk, yeah, let's talk about the, these lab ranges. So first of all, for TSH, it usually is like point like one to five, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so if a doctor is only testing that, so let's go back to this little feedback loop I described. If a doctor's only testing that they're just testing whether the wake up call was sent, like I don't order a package from Amazon, not receive it and then keep ordering it. That's, that's what that is. You check tracking. Did I get the package? Did I get the T3? Is it converting? This is why you need the free T3 and the free T4. So an uninformed doctor, like if you're listening right now and you've never heard anything about thyroid, you could even see, well, that doesn't sound freaking logical. Why would they just test the signal and not test to see if you're getting the package? Uh, so most doctors just test the TSH. That's a 1973 test. No doctor knowing what they, no doctor worth their weight would test that to gauge your thyroid. You never want to take thyroid hormone or anything from a doctor who just tested you on a TSH. Here's, for example, uh, a Mark Sisson, or this happened to him. It also happened to someone else that I know who's kind of an athlete. They, uh, woke up in the morning, went to go work out fasting. Then they went to go get their annual blood work. And their TSH at that time was like 3.5. And the doctor goes, oh, my God, we need to give you Synthroid. We need to give you T4 only. We need to give you, you know, thyroid After hormone. a fasted workout. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, this is such a big problem. Be- and this is why we never rely on the TSH. Because the TSH fluctuates all the time, right? Like if your body's low in thyroid hormone, you just worked out. Then that TSH is going to be like, yo, 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 wake up, wake up. So at the time of his blood test, it was like, yo, yo, wake up. That's why we never go on that. However, it is an important factor. So, for example, I had a friend who's uh wife just decided to go off thyroid hormone after like 20 years. I don't know why she did that. And uh, we looked at her labs after that and her TSH was 140. Okay. That, wow. I mean, that's, that like, a, is like, that's yeah. the brain screaming, like, please 
save her life. She's dying. She's zero T4 and zero T3. We were like, how are you alive? Okay. We got her back on thyroid hormone replacement. Thank God. Um, so yes. So it's important because we can see it and go, Ooh, that's not good. Like that means there's some screaming going on, but unless you're taking the other tests, you're really in the woods. You have no idea where you are. So we never rely on that. So where should a TSH be for normal people in this world? Again, if you just worked out and we're fasting and it's 3.5, I can't really gauge that. We'd have to right. look at the free T3 and the T4 on that. In general, it should be roughly in the middle of the range, like, yeah, 2.5, 2, something like that. It could be a little bit below 2, whatever. It's the least consequential of the, like, of the thyroid test. Now let's talk about free T3. So and it doesn't matter where you are, because in Canada, the, the range could be two to six, uh, mostly in the States, uh, Quest Labs or anywhere, it might be 2.2 to 4.2. Let's just take 2.0 to 4.0, because that's a classic one in the States for free T3. Now, if you're not on thyroid hormone, you're a healthy person who has a normal thyroid, your free T3 number will likely be in the middle of the range at 3.1. Almost every time, doesn't matter if I test Mark Sisson at age 68 or Brad Kearns or you or whoever it is, it's about 3.1, it's about right in the middle of the range. So if yours is a couple points below that, the doctor is going to discount you. If it's at the bottom and it's still in the range, they'll go, it's fine. Low you normal, know? still with yeah, the range. They're not right. looking at optimal. They're just going, whatever. So it's a little low, big deal. The free T4 should also be roughly in the middle of the range, but the standard for that is somewhere around like, 0.8 to 1.7 or, you know, so, so, so something like that. Yeah, 0.8 to 1.8 usually. Is that about it? Yeah. So yeah, in, yeah. in that range, a normal person who has got a normal thyroid will have about a free T4 of like 1.31. Almost exactly. It's, it's kind of pretty clockwork. If you test normal people, not on thyroid hormones, it's 1.31 for in that range. And it's also 3.1 in that range. Now, if someone I have a friend who tested 3.5 in the free T3 range and they were not on thyroid hormone. However, they suffer from anxiety and have very low body fat. It was an indication to me that perhaps they were a little hyper or that that had to do with it because when they actually took low dose beta blockers for their anxiety and stuff, they felt better, which is sort of what they give to people with hyperthyroidism. So, you know, again, you, too high, too low, but we're not talking about hyper overactive thyroid right now, although we can. So uh, then your TPO antibodies and your TG antibodies. So those ranges are really different, but let's say for the TPO range, it would be like zero to 35 or something. Well, if something shows up in there as a positive number, it's indicative of- Right, exactly. I was going to say anything more than zero for me is kind of a problem. Yeah. Thank you. So I'm not, so people are like, oh, but it, but my doctor didn't care. Cause it's like, it's 14. It's fine. Aha. But that is tipping all of us in the know off to go, Hey man, you got some kind of autoimmunity happening here. Cause when you test me for the TPO, it doesn't give a results like less than whatever. It's not even, it doesn't really show up. Right. So if it shows up at all, it's a concern. It's something to watch. Right. Oftentimes when people are really, and you can suffer there, by the way, you can suffer there and have normal free T3, sort of normal free T4, things look kind of normal, but you've got 14 on a scale of zero to 30 is still pretty low. It's kind of the goal for most people with Hashimoto's to get that low. You could still be having some issues. And in that case, then you look at nutrients, you look at diet. There's a lot of people that have been able to stay off of thyroid hormone replacement through just diet and lifestyle management for Hashimoto's. So Hashimoto's actually has a better chance at being mitigated and controlled through lifestyle and diet and stuff 
than other forms or other issues. Not always. Like multiple sclerosis or other autoimmune conditions you mean like lupus, things like that. Yes. That's right. I mean, it it really is. um, You can, you can, if you nip it in the bud quickly, you can, you can do it. And there are many examples of women putting their, at least women I've worked with, putting their hashis in remission through lifestyle verticals. Like we're going to talk about nutrition and sleep and movement and that kind of thing. Absolutely. So, um, Let's see, what else did I miss here? Okay, so we've got these labs. So then what, now those are labs for optimal, normal people that don't have any symptoms, okay? So what are you looking for then if someone's on thyroid hormone replacement? And this is where doctors make a mistake because they're trying to emulate that it should look exactly like normal people's. When they're on that, you know, you can't, you cannot compensate for, when you introduce exogenous hormones to the body, you are shutting down whatever, system is right Mm -hmm. and so when you shut it down those numbers are not going to look the same so there's a couple of nuances here when you're on t4 only levothyroxine is the generic term for that drug but synthroid is the brand yeah when you're on t4 only then you know what if you're properly treated with it and you're doing well uh which again it often fails people but it can work uh and if it's working for you then your labs are actually going to look somewhat similar to someone who's a normal person out there in the world you will still have a tsh that's sort of normal you're free it'll look a little bit normal there but not so for people that are on other thyroid hormone combinations so i'll just gloss over and say that there are really three choices of thyroid hormone replacement one is t4 only okay so now if you've been listening to this and hear my feedback loop so what you're doing then is that is not endocrine mimicry because our thyroids don't just give out t4 they do give some t3 but it is the 1950s solution to hypothyroidism that most endocrinologists will do first i do not suggest it as a first order of business Uh, some of the time, but some of the time it can be. So I don't want to completely rip on it. Sometimes people do very well on it. So there's T4 only. Then the- Can I I stop you for a moment? When we talk about T4 as a solution only, what I I have observed clinically, and and maybe Mm -hmm. you'll you'll also be able to uh, provide some color here, is that that works for a time. It's usually that that is a somewhat of a Band-Aid solution. It works, it can work for many years, and then it doesn't. Right. And that's where most people end up with that, which is why I say to start off with, it might not be great, but it could be. Someone might just need a little bit of T4. There there are so many different nuances to everyone's, but you know, some people don't need full replacement. You know, some people just need a little, little sprinkle, right? You know, some people need the full, (laughs) the full overhaul. So it just really depends, but yes, you are right. It often fails people. That's my problem with it. And also it's not endocrine mimicry. It really isn't. So the most, it can't account for if you have a conversion problem from T4 to T3 and all you're doing is giving T4, you're just backlogging the system. You're You're going to keep, yeah, you're hurting the person. You're actually that's a terrible thing to do. That happened to me when I realized I had a reverse T3 problem and I went to this doctor and I explained it at the time, this went to so many, but this one doctor said, Oh, we just need to give you more T4. I go, you don't understand. You're going to make it worse. If you keep doing that, you can't keep giving me the thing that's causing the problem. And I'll I'll talk a little bit more about reverse T3 in a minute, because I think it is the important thing to know about it is that T4 is the only thing that converts into reverse T3, the inactive form. It's the only thing. That's why T3 saves my life. Because it doesn't have to convert. 
it's the last choice. We want the conversion. You, I, I would love to be able to convert T4. So the second and best choice for thyroid hormone replacement is a T4, T3 combination. This can come in a variety of ways. Compounded T4, T3, what does that mean? Compounded pharmacist goes in, it's the least filler, the quote cleanest, you're allergic to a ton of stuff, or you really need to compound it down to the microgram. You know, let's say someone's like, I feel better with two extra micrograms. You can't break up natural desiccated thyroid, which is the other T4, T3 combo. There are a couple T4, T3 combos. we got compounded where compounding pharmacists can do it down to the microgram. Then you can just use Synthroid and Cytomel, right? But those come in specific amounts. So you'd break it up and whatever, and you can't extract them. T4, T3 in terms of natural desiccated thyroid, T4 and T3 come locked together in certain dosages. And you can add and, and, and do some stuff with it. But if you wanted to get very exact for a particular patient compounding, and sometimes people choose compounding because, uh, again, they're very sensitive and allergic to certain fillers and things. So then that's the way to do it. And sometimes it's cheaper. So T4 only, T4, T3 combination in the form of compounded Synthroid and Cytomel or NDT. And then we've got the last resort choice, which is what I'm on, which is T3 only. Last resort, you've exhausted everything. You do not go there unless you have to. I'm here to tell you it's the biggest pain in the ass and you do not want this trouble in your life unless you have to have it. But thank God it saved my life. Um, the, okay, so th those are the main thyroid hormones and you don't necessarily, like my book, The Paleo Thyroid Solution is not about jumping on a thyroid hormones. It's like, let's clean it all up first. Let's clean up, optimize, do the things that you do with your, your clients and your patients. And then let's see, is it gonna turn around? Okay. Do we need to do more investigations? For example, do I have heavy metals? Do I need to clean up some heavy metals? Yes, uh, yes, d yes. Was I living in a house with black mold? And that's how I got Hashimoto's. That happened to Dave Asprey from Bulletproof. It happened to someone else I know. Um, you can go down the investigation train as to what caused this, what's contributed. Look, I had heavy metals. Okay. Very high mercury, but I didn't discover that till later. Did that do it? Was that it? You know, I've gone through every level of like cleaning up. And so you can go down this road and you can, but then here's the only problem that happens. You have someone who's been doing this for five, ten, five years or 10 years. Mm. Now at this point, you can't even detox from anything, even if you try to, right? Your body's not working. So at this point, you do probably have to go on thyroid hormones, maybe temporarily, but you got to get on them so that you can get your body to a primordial baseline that is sufficient, metabolism, enzymes are working, your temperature's correct, you know, all of the things, you feel good. And then from there, let's do more investigating. From there, let's detox. From there, let's take a thousand tests. But if you want to feel quickly, you know, better quickly, sometimes you got to go on the thyroid hormone. Not for everybody, though, not right away, you know, but then you do talk to these people. And if you be like, I keep trying to fix it, you're like, oh, you know, you've been hypo for 10 years. You're just slowly dying at this point, accelerated aging. If you don't get on thyroid hormones, you can't even fix the problems. Does that make Correct. sense? So it's Correct. too far gone to the point where you wouldn't even be able to clean up the precursors to it or the causes, even if you want it. And, and that can happen to you. You can go on thyroid hormone, you're on hypo. Now you do all the things you clean up, blah, blah, blah. Now you're good. You're feeling good. You've been there for a while. And now you can go, let me try to get off it. It can take three months to recalibrate a thyroid. It's not, it's not once you go on it, that's the end of the world. I also want to say something too. People are always very afraid of, they're like, I don't want to go on a medication. I don't want to be on medicine for the rest of my life. This is, it's not really a medication. I, it's a hormone. You're giving your body what it needs. It still is technically a medication, but I differentiate them in terms of, you know, the birth control, 
to me is a real medication. It's something that is manipulating your body to do something it shouldn't do. And therefore it comes with a laundry list of side effects. I would say the same is true for statins. Yeah, 100% and yes. overprescribed. Yes. Shouldn't be prescribed to anyone that hasn't gotten a CAD score done. That's zero. Like, I, yeah, that's a total disaster. Same thing here. Okay. So thyroid hormones are giving you, it doesn't manipulate your body into doing something it doesn't, you know, it shouldn't do. And so I don't look at them in a dangerous way. Of course, I've been on them for so many years. It's really not anything to be scared of. And people can go on them and then get set and then wean off because again, now they've fixed all of the problems. How can you detox in a body that's slow, sluggish, has 96 degree temperature, you Correct. know, you have, you're constipated. You can't even you can't methylate. You can't like, you can't, you can't do anything. Yeah. You can't. What do you yeah. Think? Yeah. yeah. Methylation. Very important. Of course, of course, everyone get their MTHFR test and, and figure that out, get your homocysteine. So there are so many options. Um, I've been on all sorts of different combinations of the hormones of the years. I've even been hyperthyroid, which is overactive. So I'll just briefly touch on that, which is Graves disease is an autoimmune disease that normally affects the thyroid in a way that makes you hyperthyroid, like overactive. And at first people would think like, oh, this is really great because, oh, I'm so skinny and I'm pooping all the time and I can't even gain weight. Well, you're could die in a minute because it affects your heart in such a horrible way. It can give you a heart attack. It also makes you hypermetabolic so that you actually will end up being hungrier. Your blood glucose will get screwed up and then you will actually get fat. It'll backfire. So this is the backfiring thing that like bodybuilders do when they're getting ready to burn fat for a competition and they take a bunch of T3 because it's a direct fat burner. They have to offset it because too much T3 is catabolic to the muscles. So if you're a bodybuilder trying to do fat, you're going to jam yourself with T3. You're going to shoot up and do all sorts of other stuff to offset the catabolic nature. But it says a lot that that's what they take for a potent fat burner. So then people go, Ooh, Oh, I'll just, let me just go to the direct. Just more of that. Just more of that. Just give me more of that. Yeah. Now you're really asking for trouble because we really are Goldilocks. We're not too hot. We're not too cold. It's minimum effective dose. So I had a person who came to me from, uh, you know, I coach people all over the world because this is no different in Australia than it is in Saudi Arabia. It's really the same everywhere, <laughs> uninformed doctors. And so and the standards of care seem to be the same too. It's like, oh, here's some, here's some Synthroid. Like it's like, it doesn't. And that's part of the reason why they only, they only do TSH because it's actually not going to change the way that most doctors behave in terms of their prescriptive patterns. It's still going to be uh, Synthroid. Yeah. 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 And so this woman in Australia, she was like, you know, I started doing T3 with my doctor, blah, blah. I started to feel better, but then I started to get tired. So I took more and then I, and she just like kind of kept taking more and that also can exhaust you. So people think T3 is like cocaine or caffeine. It's not guys. It's not. Yes. It's an energy hormone. You it's, it's not feeling like you're jacked up. Like you've got too much energy. It's a, it's a, T3 helps people sleep. You know, there are people that maybe can't tolerate T3 late in the day. There are some people that take it right before they go to bed, like myself. <laughs> so again, um, that's another mischaracterization of that drug. People think, you know, that it's going to give you a bunch of energy. It'll actually wear you out if you're on too much. When you're hyper, you get exhausted quickly. 
Right. And I think what you're talking about generally with T3 is how we might look at bioidentical hormones or hormone replacement therapy, right? This is, as you mentioned, it's endocrine mimicry. You're right. at, you're trying to replicate homeostatic, me- like the, you know, you're trying to honor the feedback mechanisms and how these, uh, how these hormones naturally occur in the body. Now, granted T3, we're bypassing that T4 loop as, as you mentioned, but you're still, the attempt is still there. The attempt is still to have uh, somewhat normal thyroid function. It's not for a specific, you know, I don't want to get pregnant, so I'm going to take a contraception that's basically going to cut off my brain. It's going to chemically castrate me from, you know, my brain and my ovaries. Uh, or, you know, we can kind of, you know, I've done many, many podcasts on, on the birth control pill, so we won't, we, we, we don't have to, we don't have to go down that route. It is hole. possibly what led to me being hypothyroid because I was on it for 10 years prior and it does rob you of your thyroid hormone and of your testosterone. Yes. So. And B12 and CoQ10 yeah. and mitochondria. Yes. So all, all of CoQ10, I had a deficiency and a selenium deficiency, by the way, before we get into that stuff, I do realize I want to close out the discussion on what lab should look like. Yes. So let's say you are on a T4, T3 combination. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing, salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. LMNT also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. One where you, it's like full thyroid hormone replacement. So I'm not talking about the people who are just taking like a tiny little, you know, like a little tiny something, but people who are like, oh God, I'm seriously hypothyroid. I've got to get on, on thyroid hormone. When you're on T4, T3 combination, this is fully replaced. This is how the labs often look when you are optimized and you have no more symptoms. Now, this is not what I'm about to tell you. It's not something you target. I'm just telling you, it's usually what happens. The TSH will go down to 0.01, which freaks out. Any other doctor. doctor. And I will tell you why they forgot about that in a second and why it's wrong. But so, and you probably already know that about the audience. So the TSH will probably go down to 0.01. The free T3 will be above the mid range, sometimes towards the top of the range. So if someone's at 3.9 and I could like, for example, I have one friend who's at 3.9, that's where she has to stay to feel good. A doctor might go, oh my God, you're hypothyroid. The top of the range is 4.0. It's not gauged the same as it is for people on thyroid hormone replacement. Okay. And if everyone's temps are good and all their finals are good, then that's what's right for them. But that's usually what it looks like. It's above the mid range or towards the top of the range. And then the free T4 will, you don't really want it to go over 1.4 in the range that we talked about. When it starts to get above 1.4, that can be indicative of an issue, the brewing with reverse T3 and some other things, but usually anywhere from like you know, 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, something like that in there. So that's what it'll look like when someone is optimized on NDT or a T4, T3 combination of Synthroid Cytomel or of uh, um, compounded. Now, the caveat with that though is, is like if someone's just taking like, you know, 15 milligrams of an NDT, 
that's not going to do all the things I just mentioned. I'm talking for people that are pretty much on full thyroid hormone replacement. And um, that's really what those labs look like. So the reason doctors freak out about the TSH is that back in the day, they used to, in order to get rid of nodules on the thyroid gland, like 40 some years ago, they used to do this thing that they don't do anymore, which is that they would jam the patient with a bunch of T4. And it got rid of the nodules, but what it did is it made them hyperthyroid, okay? You don't want to suppress a TSH when you're on T4 only. So what I mentioned about these labs right now are just for T4, T3 combination people. You never want to see really a 0.01 TSH with someone on Synthroid, T4 only. And just again, T4 only, yes. Right. So that would be a red flag. So this is what they used to do. To so try T4 to only, only, just to clarify, T4 only should approximate normal optimal labs. When you're doing, when you're on a Synthroid, when you're looking at your lab work, it should look approximately like the optimal ranges that we started with. But now what you're talking about is this NDT, this natural desiccated thyroid or compounding, you know, um, we're going to see a different constitute. We're going to see different labs. We're going to see a lower TSH, which would be normal for that, uh, for that cohort, for that, for that population. And here's why it's more normal. And I want to explain this. Like, why would you not want someone on T4 only to have a suppressed TSH, let's say, but it's okay for someone on T4, T3. This is why T3 again is the biologically active. So when you swallow T3 directly, the pituitary, the signal, the TSH goes, I don't need to do anything. I'm going to shut up. And my shutting up is 0.01. I'm shutting up. You guys obviously have it figured out. I don't need to do my job anymore. I don't need to wake up my neighbor anymore. They got an alarm clock. That's why 0.01. But here's why doctors freak out. When they used to do this protocol back in the day to try to get rid of the thyroid nodules, what they found is that those people got hyperthyroid. They had heart, you know, heart indications that were not good. They were losing calcium. And so, so because of this, any, I'm just gonna say it, a dumbass uninformed doctor is gonna go, oh no, we can't have you're gonna get. I had a doctor tell me that I was gonna give myself cancer, have a heart attack, and osteoporosis. You know what? The patients in my doctor's practice with the lowest TSHs on NDT have the best bone densities. Okay. This has nothing to do with it. You're gauging tooth, the apples and oranges. Do not gauge them the same way. Why context is very important. Context is so important. So So that's what it kind of will look like on a T4, T3 combination. Again, if the person is like taking a substantial amount, if they're not, then they may still have a TSH. And again, you don't target hitting 0.01 ever. It's just that most people that are optimized on fully replaced thyroid hormone end up having those labs. Um, and sometimes you can be in a little bit of armor, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and still have normal thyroid TSH and stuff like that. It just really depends on how much you're taking, but that is how that would look. And then doctors get even more freaked out when, uh, you are on T3 only and they see the labs because there will be, and again, this is not someone for who's just like swallowing five micrograms a day, but someone who is literally like, okay, overhaul, we're, t- we're taking it over. When you're on T3 only that way, your labs are going to look frightening to a doctor because it's going to be a very suppressed TSH, even more suppressed than 0.01. The T4 is going to be about zero. You're going to have any T4 and your T3 might be even above the range. And that freaks out everybody who doesn't know what they're doing when they see that. But here's the truth. As far as we know, there is no evidence out there to say that we have to have T4. Is it helpful? Is it the best way to do it because of the endocrine mimicry? We want the T4 to be doing its job. 100% we do. 
but is it necessary? No, I've been living off of T3 only for more than 13 years now, I think. Um, so people say T T4, oh, well, you need it for your brain. You need it for your hair. I have a huge head of hair. I have a really big brain. I've written several books. Like I, I'm highly functional. Uh, I haven't seen the need for T4. Now, recently I did, uh, and I can't give the evidence on it yet. I will. After all of these years, I decided, you know, let me try to take a little T4. And so for the past two weeks, I've taken 12.5 micrograms, which is the, the lowest dose you could take of T4 in the morning. Why? Well, it's not enough to probably cause a reverse T3 problem because I take T3 the rest of the day. And which T3. was your original problem was your conversion. Like T4 was just going right to RT3. That's right. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a Scotia dose. We've tested it out. We'll see what happens so far. It does seem to make things a little steadier again there. And this is the problem with T3 only. Okay. Slow release or not it's the last resort choice. So even though I take it, I don't want people to run out there and go, I'll just take T3. You really do want a T4, T3 combo if you need thyroid hormone replacement. And it, it would be the most ideal place to be if that's, if that works for you. And if not, then you have to go to the last resort choice. So, I mean, I remember I went to a doctor and they looked at my T3 only labs. They were like, Oh my God, you're going to have a heart attack. You're going to kill yourself. You know, they just don't know what they're talking about. Um, now, you do have to check vitals. They say so much. And this is what you can do at home. When you're checking your temps, when you're monitoring pulse, when you can check your own blood pressure, this is how you gauge at home what's up with you. You know, this is how you can gauge, oh, maybe I'm too much. Maybe I need to dial back this week or maybe I need to go get tested. You know, I've been feeling right. Oh, my, my labs are high. I'm waking up with a high temp. What's up with that? Ooh, I feel too warm. I'm clammy. Maybe I'm on too much. You know, there are lots of indicators for overstimulation and indicators for under, and then we've got labs and the best is your own N equals one. Like, how's my pulse? How do I feel? What are my temps? I always go to the temps. I always have my, um, my thermometer around. Do you know what I mean? To just kind of gauge things. Cause if something is off, you know, you can kind of tell through temps, you really can assess adrenal insufficiency and also thyroid insufficiency through just temps alone. Um, so there are things you can do at home to kind of monitor this. Once you get on your right dose, usually if it's a T4, T3 combination, you kind of don't, you stay there. Um, you might need to make an adjustment for like a little bit more in the winter and a little bit more in summer, a little bit less in summer if you live in a place that has extreme seasons. But usually once people finally reach their optimal dose, like they don't have to tinker around too much. Maybe when they hit menopause, they'll have to change a dose. But again, you kind of stay steady and you're good to go until something feels off. And then when something feels off, you go right to the temps and track basil in afternoon every day. And you, you know, you look at some things and then you go get the blood work and maybe you're like, Oh, I need more, or that looks like I need less. What I have found out over time is that I need so much less T3 to operate off of than I used to when I was probably not as healthy and metabolically efficient. So I have, I was once on a hundred micrograms of T3 per day, which is a very high, it's a pretty high dose for most people. And let's Let's see, what do I do now? 10, five. I'm on about 15 micrograms a day, plus a little bit of that T4 in the morning. Um, I've go between 15, 30. Uh, I've kind of been in there for a couple of years and tinkering, but for the most part, I've never gone really high with the dose. And I believe that's because I was just so metabolically broken and screwed up in every way when I started this whole thing that as I went down the journey of cleaning up, doing the heavy metals test, okay, now I'm do this. So now I need systemic enzymes. Oh, okay then every time I needed to keep reducing, I became more metabolically efficient. Now on this note, let's say somebody is an athlete, they're super, you know, metabolically efficient in the paleo world, maybe they're keto, carnivore, whatever. And then you get their thyroid tests 
and their T3 is low, like 2.2. And you're like, are you okay? And they're like, I feel great. In that case, you have to go with, I feel great. <laughs> if they have zero symptoms, and that means that Ben Greenfield is just super extra T3 efficient. And he showed his thyroid labs. And I think that's what is they're very low. But he's also got extremely low body fat. I think he fasts all day except for one meal. I mean, he's extremely efficient metabolically. So perhaps that's not a problem. He's also a male. He also has so a male. Yeah. It would be a red flag to me if I saw that. But then I would be asking the questions. Do you feel this? Do you feel that? And if they're like, I feel freaking great. I have no hypothyroidism symptoms at all. Then you're like, well, then, then you're good with that low T3. You know, then, then I guess that works for you. That also makes gosh. sense. If it's a fat burner and he has very low fat, I mean, that would make sense that the body would, again, this is the elegance feedback. of that feedback loop. Like you won't, you don't want T3 jacked. If you are at, you know, I would probably guess Ben is, I don't know, four to 6% maybe body fat, you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. So that that's another case where you wouldn't be alarmed. Do you know right. what I mean? But you have the right questions, but. If they're like, I'm good. You're like, all right, then you're just T3 efficient. So when I say that there might be a patient on a T4, T3 combination, whose T3 is in the middle of the range and not above or not towards the top of the range. And they feel great there. Then that's okay too. And we always take in everyone's personal experience. You're never trying to hit a mark. You're never trying to hit a target. This is so individual. There are so a vast array of the way people dose thyroid hormones. There is no right or wrong. There are only a myriad of different choices the way people do it. Sometimes people do what I do, take a little bit of T4 in the morning with T3 the rest of the day if they've had a reverse T3 problem. Sometimes people take T3 only and they take it every five, six hours. They take it four or five times a day to kind of do an even spread. But then there are people that take 75 micrograms twice a day, which would probably kill me. But you know what? That works for them. <laughs> you know, there's some people that take their T4 at night. So however people have come to these N equal one, you know, there are some standard ways to go about doing the dosing um, and it's all fixable. So if you have not been fixed yet, then there is someone's missing something with either a lab test. Uh, and if you're perfect with your diet and all the lifestyle stuff, then it probably is the mismanagement of not putting you right on the right combination or right dosage of thyroid hormones or both. Another mistake I want to point out that patients and doctors make, and this is uh, really important because um, this happens all the time. People come to me and they're like sobbing because they ask their doctor, can you test these things? And the doctor goes, great. And they get to the lab, they get their blood drawn and they get the results back. And I'm like, where's your reverse T3? My doctor said they would test. Did you check the lab slip? Uh, I'm sorry that you have to do your doctor's work for you. Do not go into the lab. I know you want to believe that when they said, yes, I'll test that, but you know what? They don't, they go back to their office and they go, they don't know what they're talking about. Or they go, I don't know what reverse T3 is. I'm not testing it. And they don't test it. So you need to look at your lab slip before you go in there to make sure that they tested all the stuff. This will save you a lot of time and frustration. Yes. Another uh, mistake that patients and doctors make is a doctor will give someone an entry level dose of a thyroid hormone. You can never pummel someone with what you think their right dose would be. We all start at a minimum. And you have to build up to the right dose. That's how thyroid hormones work, no matter what thyroid hormone you're on. It's like makeup, ladies. A little bit. <laughs> do a little bit. You can't undo a black eyeshadow. Just, lit, just you know, a little blend in a little. <laughs> yeah, just build, just build it up. Build, yeah. build on it. Build on it. Build. So uh, we, uh, yeah, hilarious. So same thing goes with thyroid hormones. So this is the mistake. A doctor will give someone an entry-level dose of whatever, okay? And they'll go, hey, yeah, come back in three months or six months. Nope. 
because here's what happens. You introduce the exogenous hormone. It's going to start to shut down the TSH, and then they might feel more hypo than they were before they came into your office about a month from now. And then they go, this is not working. I feel worse than I did. And they stop taking it and they blame it. This happens all the time, guys. <laughs> you have to go back every three weeks until you reach your optimal dose. Most doctors would go three weeks. Three weeks is enough time to see what the T4 is doing. It's enough time. Four weeks max. I would never go beyond four weeks. So someone gives you 30 milligrams of NDT to start off. You go back, you get tested in three weeks. That blood's drawn. It's going to take a week for the blood to get back. Now we're at four weeks. Boom. You need to up the game. You need to keep climbing up the ladder. So you're going to probably need a, you know, a new dose at that point. And now here we go again. And we're going again and we're doing this until we reach your optimal dose. Doctors need to do that. You need to convince your doctors to do that. Get tested on your own. I don't care. At some point, you have to start dictating how you want to be treated and what you are doing for your own health. So that's a huge mistake. I've seen too many people who've taken an entry-level dose, and then like a year later, they're still on it, and their doctor never called them. They didn't know, blah, 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 blah. Please don't make this mistake. You have to get tested every three weeks when you start thyroid hormone. Not necessarily with T3 only. That is a different ballgame. But when it comes to T4, T3 combinations particularly, and I would say even with T4 only, if you're on Synthroid, I would still test three weeks later and go, what's this doing? And do I need to up it? Do you know what I mean? So that's how you kind of catch the, you know, because you take two steps forward and then you stay, take a step backward when you stay on an entry-level dose for a long period of time. You can right. even have more hypo. And you can have hypo symptoms show up that you didn't even have before. And then you think, oh no, I'm getting even more hypo. And it's not true. Another thing that happens that I just thought of that's a, a classic one is people will be like, oh my God, oh my God, I, I, I'm on too much. My, my heart. And you're like, what's your heart rate? It's totally normal. Usually that feeling um, with hypothyroid patients, like if you lay people lay down and they feel this something in their chest, they, they're like, something's wrong with my heart. Like I can feel it. They hear it, feel it bumping. It's usually low ferritin and or adrenals, but it's usually low iron storage, guys. It's not your heart. T3, your heart needs T3 to work right. Usually if you were to test your pulse, you're not having a heart, you know, it's not really that high. It just feels that way. The other thing too, is when people start taking something with T3 in it, and this is why you do want to just start off at entry level doses and, and dose properly, but they'll feel a little bit of a surge of energy that they've never had before. And they might get a little concerned, like, oh no, it feels like I drank a little bit too much coffee. It's my heart. We got No one's going to die off of 30 milligrams of you know, NDT. Trust me, no one's ever, over <laughs> I've never seen any overdose situations happen here. It's just an uncomfortable, weird thing to suddenly feel energy again when you haven't for a while. Right. So those are some of those weird things that happen. Um, another symptom I just want to mention that I didn't mention before is heavy legs or restless legs. Restless legs are often associated with low ferritin. So is tinnitus ringing in the ears, by the way. But what does this feel like? Uh, this is also usually hypo and also a low iron thing. It's horrible. I've had it several times during my bouts. Uh, it feels like when you're walking up steps, you are carrying like cement bricks as legs, just heavy legs. And if you're experiencing this, you just know what I'm talking about. And that also is usually related to ferritin. So, so ferritin, just for, just for my Bettys, this yes, is the iron storage. This is like the amount of iron that you have stored up. And the reason iron labs and iron levels are so important for thyroid, is just imagine it like this. Thyroid hormone, whether you're taking it or your body's pumping out the right amount, 
can't get to where it needs to go without proper iron. And this is where I mentioned before, sometimes iron is all that's needed. I fixed a patient with just iron. I was like, you don't have a thyroid problem. Yeah. They called me back like a month later. They're like, oh, I feel freaking great. And I was like, yeah, because you were headed towards anemia town. And you know, this is this is awful. So this is why it's very important. Most doctors don't understand this connection. This is why ferritin, iron storage, or getting a comprehensive iron panel with TIBC, total iron, percentage saturation, and ferritin is important in this game. Here's why. You get a pill of NDT and you're trying to go up the ladder. You are going to have problems increasing and being able to tolerate it. You right. can do them together. When I first started on thyroid hormone and NDT for my very first bout many years ago, I had to take a crap load of iron at the same time as I was not at the same dosing. You always have to keep them separate, um, you know, from each other in terms of timing in the day. But I had to pummel both at the same time as I went up. You're never going to get better if the iron storage isn't proper. And by the way, so that range usually is 10 to 150. If the range of ferritin that you have is 10 to 150, you're looking at 65 being a good amount. If it starts to edge below 40, mm, side eye, red flags. When I passed out and had horrible heavy and relaxed legs, it was, it could be at 30 edging down. I've been at 10. When you're at 10 towards zero, you're, it's, it was awful. I passed out everywhere. I was lightheaded. I, it was just a total disaster. Um, so in order for thyroid hormones to work with your swallowing them or your own body's giving to you, you need to have proper iron storage and women lose a lot of blood in, you know, menstruation and also maybe had some babies, blah, blah, blah. Did you have a surgery? Usually we're not topping it off. If you're a vegan or vegetarian, you're not eating iron and not paying attention to this stuff. B12, like, you know, is a very important factor with all of this. So, so it's very important to have those. And oftentimes that's the missing link. Like it's just that one thing, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about the wives tale around the constipating, um, oh, yes. <laughs> the, the constipating uh, effect that, uh, iron. supplementing with iron, uh, can have. Uh, I think it's very important. The form of iron is very important. I, I would love for you to expand on that. My favorite form and the form used by most thyroid patients and authors that I know is ferrous bisglycinate chelate. Is that your, what you're doing? Yeah. So that's yeah. usually one of functional doctors as well. So iron has many forms. Yeah. Ferrous glutamate, uh, ferrous sulfate. The old forms of iron are what led to those wives tales about issues with constipation. It doesn't do that at all. The only symptom or side effect I've seen in anyone, including myself with iron bisglycinate chelate is that your stools will turn black and they will look like black tar. And that's totally normal, but that is the only weird thing that should happen. Other than that, you should just only get benefits from it. Um, it is important to take away from thyroid hormone only because it can render the thyroid hormones less effective. So you just want to don't, you know, you want to get the most for your money on each thyroid pill and everything. So you take it, you know, two to probably four hours away from thyroid. If you really want to be careful. Um, I had such low ferritin and here's the other problem with ferritin too. If you're very low and you're around 10 or 20, it could take months to get up to 65. Yes, so it is very one good of those point. Things you have to regularly, like yes. I, I tell my clients, I'm like, do not drop the ball on this one. I don't care if you miss the vitamin C or you miss something else. Do not, I don't care if you just set an alarm, you have to. So what you want to do is if, and there's lots of ways to dose the iron, but, um, 
you can check every maybe four weeks and just kind of see how you're doing, you know, but it could take months. So you don't want to drop the ball on that. Like you don't want to just be like, Oh, I took some iron for a couple of weeks. It should be fine. No, no, not going to do it. Take that one takes a while. Uh, vitamin D is also another one that takes a while. And let's just talk about that because it's related to Hashimoto's and everything, which is yes, vitamin yeah. D on a scale of 30 to hundred should be about 70 to hundred. Everybody should be targeting that, um, particularly in a pandemic. I, I still take 5,000 IUs of, vitamin D almost every day. And I live in California in the sun and I'm in the sun all the time. So it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> um, but most thyroid patients are deficient in vitamin D and uh, B12 and some other things in iron. And it's because when you're hypo, your body kind of can't hold on to these nutrients. So that is why hypothyroid patients are classically low in iron. And they're like, but I'm eating liver. And you're like, it doesn't matter at a certain point. That's the, that's the thing about it. So if you were on thyroid hormones, and you're taking iron together and you're like trying to fix this problem. You've got low iron and you, and you go up this ladder at some point, your iron gets up to 65, let's say on the ferritin. Anyway, you, you remove the iron. And by that point, hopefully you're on the right dose. Now you're not high point anymore. And now you're like a normal person where your body holds on to iron and you don't need to take it. You still need to check in with it, but you don't need to take it um, regularly. So you could get your iron up and do that. But then if you're not fixing the thyroid problem at the same time, Great, you got your iron up temporarily, but if you don't keep taking it, it's just going to drop back down. And you, you look, you don't want to be supplementing iron forever, and you also don't want to overdo it. Most people are are not going to overdo it with iron, and if you did, you could always go get, you know, give give blood. Go Correct. Yeah, you could go give blood if you're menstruating. You can menstruate. <laughs> you can have your period and get rid of it uh, that Sometimes way. But if people, especially if you're a vegan or something, then maybe it would be like right. once a month on one or two bleeding days, you take a iron fair you know, take a iron pill. Uh, but if you're a regular meat eater and you're getting good iron and nutrients, like I haven't taken iron for a while, I'm getting my labs soon. I'm sure they're great. Um, what's interesting though is right around my my period though i do sense a little bit of restless leggies just for that moment and i'm wondering if it's even just like a psychosomatic body thing going hey 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 we want to give you a symptom you know is associated with this make sure you get some liver make sure you take an organ pill make sure you you know what i mean so occasionally I think if I even too like this is i yeah. I can't like when women are bleeding, like when they're menstruating, one of the things I often talk about is like, you need like blood building foods when yes. you are bleeding, like you need liver and you need red meat yep. and you need to be having lamb and all of these things that are going to build back up, um, your iron stores. This, I call them sort of blood building foods because we lose the blood. Like we lose, and we do that for 40 years, let's say. And so this is also important for my perimenopausal women who are still menstruating. And then women who are menopausal as well, because we don't, you can, you can menstruate for 40 years, go into menopause and, and be deficient because you haven't been thinking about this. And we were talking in the pre-chat, I was like, well, maybe we'll get to veganism. You know, maybe we'll be able to talk a little bit about, you know, food choices. And I think that this is where it may be benefit. Like, you know, if you want to, you know, we, we've had conversations with Rob Wolf and, you know, I've, I've talked to Brian Love Saunders that. and like lots of, lots of people around, you know, some of the, uh, like the ethical and the environmental, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, sort of verticals of veganism. And we don't need to get into that now. Like if that's the choice that you've made, made, like bless you, yes. like all it's your choice. Like I am going to support, but you also have to, in the same way that you might take therapeutic T3, consider taking therapeutic, uh, 
Methyl B12 folate. <laughs> right, right. Or you might consider for a time having some meat as a therapeutic intervention. Yes. Uh, some, some vegans, you know, um, are very receptive to that. And like, this is what I need to do for my body to stay optimal. Um, it has been my experience. And I don't know if you want to comment on this, but I, I have never for the long term, I have never seen it done correctly. It's often they end up with a plethora of nutrient deficiencies, B12 being a really important one, iron being really important. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know of any lifelong vegans that are healthy. I've only seen it last 17 years when the person was meticulously on top of it. Yes. But then it only lasted that long until the doctors were like, can't do it. I, I have, if you can use a friend to this day, she still holds her nose while she shoves turkey meat in there because she's still disgusted by everything yes. having to do with it. She does yes. it medicinally because she knows she's not going to be able to have a kid or live a good life. And I said, well, I, I, you know, after 17 years, I was like, oh my God, I'm so, I'm so sorry to hear this. Like, this must be horrible for you to have to do this. Yeah. And I said, how do you, she goes night and day with her energy. She's like night and day. You know, all the B12 supplements, all the crap she did, all the perfect cooking. She did, they grew up with a private chef. She had every, her mom was like, we're doing this right. 17 years. Another great uh, author, Tovar Cerulli, he wrote, wrote a book called The Mindful Carnivore, uh, the um, a Vegetarian's Hunt for Sustenance. This is way before the carnivore movement. He wrote this book like over 10 years ago. Tovar's great. He was also, again, probably like a vegan, raw vegan for like 17 years or so until it fell apart. And he wrote a book about, you know, if I'm going to do this, then I'm not going to kill by proxy. I want to see what it's like to hunt and actually do it myself. And so it's sort of his journey of sort of learning about this. So a couple things about veganism, um, you have to supplement with B12. It is a choice, but here's the truth. You're making a choice against your DNA as a human being. You are literally making this choice. I'm not saying it's wrong, but that is the truth. And when you go against what your DNA expects of you, you're going to run into problems. And this is why, perfect example, I used to, before the pandemic, I belonged to a gym that had a pool right next to the, you know, like locker room with the sauna and the steam. And I used to swim with a woman who I knew was a vegan. And one time she was kind of uh, trying to insinuate that I was like an awful person for, you know, eating animals, whatever. So um, I just let that go. We swim with each other. One day I'm in the sauna and she comes in out of breath in her swimsuit from the pool. She's like, I can't breathe. I can't catch my breath. I don't get it. I swim. I swim all the time. I don't know. I can't even do one length. I, and I looked at her and I go, you're, you, you are still a vegan, right? She goes, yes. I go, when's the last time you took B12 and her mouth dropped. She was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. You're right. I, we get out of the sauna. I write down exactly what to get. I'm like, you go right to the, you know, she goes there. I see her three weeks later at the gym. She's like, Thank you for saving my life. But, 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 but. That's what happens when you don't attend to the things that we're talking about. So you can make this decision and that's great, but it is going to affect you in some way if you're not calculating these things. Amino acids, other things. Yeah, I've never seen it really work out well. And also the ethical argument doesn't work very well. There are also people that are natural carnivores. They cannot eat plant matter. Not everybody can be a vegan. It's an elitist position to say that. Um, it just doesn't work for some people. Like biologically, it just doesn't work. They can't eat plant matter. So what are you doing? Telling them they're awful people? What are you telling the family that's living in the, you know, outback somewhere with yaks in South America, like that they can eat Beyond Burgers and, and veggies every day? So it's just, 
That's not viable when we talk about that. But if it's a personal choice, make your personal choice. Let my friends that are vegans or, hey, you can be paleo and not eat red meat. You can eat fish. You can eat eggs. You can do whey. I mean, there's ways to mitigate this. But if you are going to choose to go against your DNA, please be careful. Please be attentive. Yeah, I um, I want to reiterate um, something that Rob Wolf said on the podcast, and it really stuck with me afterwards. It was something that you just said, you know, if they have, you know, yaks in the background, like it is very much a, um, uh, you know, we'll call it cis white male Eurocentric North Americans. Like we should all be eating plants. And he was talking about, uh, you know, some women, uh, in some countries where it's very, first of all, it's very rocky, very mountainous. You can't have like these huge soy crops and corn crops, but they're not allowed, like women are not allowed to own property, but they can own livestock. So they can, that is the, you know, that's their social status. That's how they trade. That's how they support their families. So we're going to just come in and say, Hey, you got to be vegan because that's better for the planet. I mean, we can, which it's not, which we know, which it's not, not, which it's not, but it's also incredibly sexist because there's, there's, there's these, there's these people that cannot, this is their social structure. They can't own, they can't buy farm and grow corn on it. They can own cattle, yaks whatever it is, camels, whatever. And so I I think that there's, um, you know, as you were saying, it's your choice and I am, I will honor your choice and I will support your choice. And I will, you know, as you said, I'll tell you the B12 that you need to take and the dose and how you're going to do it. Uh, but keep your opinions to yourself about how everybody should be eating. Right. It's, it's because it is a personal decision and it is not an environmental or ethical decision because, uh, vegans, vegetarians, raw vegans would be horrified to know that how many large animals are murdered to protect their soy fields. So, you know, I mean, that's the truth. And this is where Tovar Cerulli, the mindful carnivore came in. He goes, you know, we had an organic garden. And what we realized is we did everything we could to not kill stuff, but you can't get away with it. So even your lettuce, if you're a vegan, something has been killed. You may not have done it. Maybe it's organic herbicide. It doesn't matter. Something has to die. This is you cannot escape this life cycle. It's elitist almost to think that we can get out of this prey, you know, uh, predator, you know, model. We, we really can't. You can choose to leave it. That's fine. But again, it's really going against the DNA. I am totally supportive of people doing this. It's just what are your reasons? Because some people will go, oh, well, you know what? I, I hate all these like cow feedlots and stuff. And that's why you don't eat meat. Then please buy from regenerative agricultural farms like Rep Provisions and other places that are supporting the environment, that are doing the right things for the animal. That is what the paleo primal movement, Rob Wolf, that's what we all are encouraging. So if that's your only argument, that doesn't hold up either because you can get your chicken pasture raised. You can, right. you can do these things. And so I also hear a lot of people who miss things are like, oh, you know, I really miss barbecue shit. <laughs> yeah, you know, the Beyond Burger thing kills me. It's like they it make this stopped. thing look like it bleeds. Uh, it's got all sorts of crap in it. It's like yeah. maybe soil and green. I don't know what's in there. And yeah. then, and then they, and you're like, but if you're craving that taste, that means something. That is a signal from your body saying, please do this. You know, I, I had a friend who was pregnant and uh, she, she was a vegetarian and she had dreams during her pregnancy of like putting her hands into like raw ground beef. And she woke up one day and she goes, maybe you need a burger. We're like, yeah, maybe, maybe you need a burger. She's not gone back since. It's like her subconscious mind was being like, please don't do this to your child. Please don't do this. Right. 
the body will send you those signals. You crave stuff. If you're craving it, there's a reason for it. And um, if for some reason you're going to do the alternative, but you're still craving burgers and you're eating a Beyond Burger, then you might want to check some, like, you know, a list of nutrients, right? Because perhaps you are deficient in iron and you're not definitely not going to get it from that. You know, and I would, I would argue also, you know, chemical toxicity. Like I would be, yes. I would be thinking about your detoxification pathways because you totally. are consuming so many compounds that your body has no idea what yes. to do with. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to uh, circle back to something that you said sure. earlier that, uh, and I want to make sure that we get to this. I want to do a little bit of a deeper dive in reverse T3. So one <laughs> of the things that you uh, talk about is looking at the free T3 to reverse T3 ratios. So if we have, if we have a patient, let's say they're on NDT, they're on natural desiccated thyroid, um, and you're doing lab tests regularly, and we see that their free T4 now is creeping up. It's like 1.4 or north of that, you know, nanograms uh, per deciliter. Is is that maybe an indication that we're starting to get some reverse where we see T4, where we see T4 starting to increase? We're starting to see some reverse. T3 potentially um, problems be. coming you, up. You have to test a reverse T3, but if a, if someone was on NDT and their free T4 was like 1.6 or something, uh, it would be a big red flag to test the reverse T3. And I would guarantee that at that point they're they're on too much or there's a reverse T3 rule. And they could be just too much on too much T4 on too much NDT, uh, but it would definitely be an indicator of it getting above 1.4. If it's at 1.4, usually that could be fine. That's where a lot of people are at when they're optimized on MGT. But if it starts to go up above that, that would be a red flag. Yeah. So sometimes, so Janie Bother, she doesn't do the ratio anymore. She just goes, oh, hey, we want it in like the lower part of the range and blah, blah, blah. Um, I still do the ratio. I look at both. So there's an online calculator for that. I can't do math, you know? So there's a there's online calculator that you have to put in the units of measurement first, you know, between the reverse T3. And you can also do total T3, although again, free T3 is usually best. But if the reverse T3 range is usually, let's say, like zero to 30, if it's like 20s and up. Now, here's the thing. A ratio of 20 and higher, once you do the calculation, is usually anything over 20 is great. <clears throat> but if it's 17, does that mean someone's got a horrible reverse T3 problem and they need to go? No, no, no. They probably just need some selenium. Maybe just wait a minute. 15 and higher can be an okay ratio number if the person has no symptoms, but that's kind of creeping into symptom territory. So again, we're not just going off of a number. We're going on, how do you feel? How are you, are you good? Um, but when that ratio gets down to like 11, like it was with me, and my reverse T3 result was like 34, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's like glaringly obvious. Now, when there's a reverse T3 problem and someone's on T4 only or T4, T3, does that, okay, so if someone's on T4 only and they had a reverse T3 problem, then it would be like you dial back the T4 and add T3. So essentially put them on some combination first and see if that solves it. If someone's already on a combination of thyroid hormones and they're not being overdosed, they're on the right dose, but oh man, this thing's converting into RT3. Do you need to put them on T3 only right away? Maybe not. That could be a case for, all right, we're going to keep your morning dose or do a little T4 in the morning with some T3 and then do T3 the rest of the day. Let's see how that goes for a while. It could be just reducing the T4 and increasing some T3 a little bit in their dose, which might have to be compounded or you got to shimmy sham with cotton pills. So it's not just because someone's got a reverse T3 showing doesn't mean you throw T3 only. That is, again, the last resort choice. You do other things. Let's look into like what's causing this, right? It could be selenium deficiency. It could be stress. Are you going through a legal battle with your horrible ex-husband? And uh, yeah, that can cause a reverse T3 problem in people that aren't even taking thyroid hormones. 
that's the important thing to know. And that's why the lifestyle stuff you preach is really important because our mindset, our sleep, our lack of wherewithal and overall just, you know, like what can we deal with when we're super stressed out? That is also sending that signal to dial back, to, to, to convert more of the T4 into the T3. So any kind of hyper stress, physical or mental can do that. I got a reverse T3 problem right after an extremely stressful six months of like going through some legal battle uh, that I knew that I would prevail, but it was one of these awful things I just had to go through. It was like just a really nasty thing. Um, and you know what? When I look back on that, I go, oh, I was going through that at the time I got reverse T3. I also had a selenium deficiency. Could that have caused it? Maybe. I had heavy metals. Could that have caused it? Maybe. We don't know because I got rid of some of those heavy metals and I still have a reverse T3 problem. So again, you can do all the trying you want. The good news is you'll probably be the cleanest, healthiest person after all of it. Will any of it solve your thyroid problem? Maybe not, but at least you've cleaned it all up and that's what led you there. So uh, reverse T3 stuff is on the rise. You always have to test it. The doctors that don't test it just don't know what it is and they don't know how to evaluate it. Um, and again, the answer is not always T3 immediately. You, you try some other things first. And that's the tinkering you can do. Let's lower this T4. Let's add some T3. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, let's cut out most of the T4. Keep a little and do mostly T3. Oh, oh, oh that's not even working. All right, now we're removing the T4. And we're, you know, so there's, there's lots of tinkering and ways to do it. There's been people that have looked good on NDT, felt pretty good, had good labs, and had no reverse T3 issues whatsoever. But something wasn't right. And for some reason, they went on T3 and that did it. I can't say that that's wrong or right. Would I prefer everyone to be on a T4, T3 combo if their body can handle it? Yeah, because it's the most endocrine mimicry. It's the safest, it's the best, it's the steadiest. But there are a lot of these cases where they're like, this doesn't work for me. And there's no clinical evidence to say why or that they should go on T3, but they do and feel better. So that's always an option too, but it really is a last resort choice. And you want to exhaust so many other possibilities before getting there. I would also think too, you know, when you think about conversion of T, like natural, when we're thinking about, uh, you know, the way that uh, T4 is converted to T3, a lot of it's done in the liver. And then we mm -hmm. also have yeah, conversion. What is that? Say it again. Yeah, I think in the gland and other organs. I mean, it's. Yeah. So like the muscle, the heart, you know, we, we have that con like a, a big proportion of it is done in the liver. And then you also have, um, you know, getting slightly technical here, but we have T3 sulfate and then we have T3. So it's triiodothyroacetic uh, acid. So the, like T3S and T3AC, which are both inactive, but they become active T3 in the gut. Of course, that's done by sulfatase, which is uh, intestinal sulfatase, which is of course, if you have a healthy gut microbiome, you're going to be able to take these inactive forms of T3 and move them into active T3. Um, is there uh, in your experience, because, um, and this is where sort of the- By the way, real quick on the gut thing. Mm -hmm. When someone has severe First of all, almost all thyroid people have gut issues. Almost all of them. And, and co-infections. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Candida, everything. I had it too. Here's why, um, just for people out there. So everything's slow, sluggish, right? Hyper, low, low heart rate, low temperature, you're freezing, all that. You're constipated. Slow. No acids, nothing. There you go. So what happens is you start to chew food. You're creating less hydrochloric acid. It's not breaking down the stuff. It's not breaking down the nutrients. Your gut's already compromised. You can't hold on to these nutrients. They're not absorbing. This is how you get into this game. Um, Oftentimes when you're hypothyroid, no matter what you eat, you're bloated, you're gassy, it's a disaster. There's candida. Like it's just, a, 
total nightmare. I've, I've been through it. And the, the, the gut needs T3 to heal. That's yep. the truth. Yeah, for sure. So it's really important. And, and thyroid stuff can really screw up people's guts. But on the gut note, if someone had Crohn's or colitis or like a serious extra problematic gut issue, then that is where potentially taking your NDT or T3 sublingually can be helpful. Um, I don't always recommend this. Um, in my first book, I recommend, I told everyone that I used to take my T3 sublingual, which I did. I do not anymore. I believe swallowing it is best. However, if someone's got like a severely compromised gut, it first, they might want to take certain doses or some sublingually. So that, that just could be an option for somebody. It's not necessarily like the do it all the time thing, but there are people that do that. Amazing. And you can do that with most of the NDTs. You can chew them up and let them uh, dissolve under your tongue. But again, usually reserve that for like serious Crohn's colitis, awful gut things that are really brutal, because again, it may not be absorbed as, as well as it's going to be absorbed in your, you know, in your mouth. And that, that's generally been my approach. So when I'm, when I'm dealing with a thyroid patient, um, one of the uh, interventions that we usually spend a lot of time on is liver detoxification, yes. methylate, like amping up methylation. And then of course, helping to reseed the gut so that we have better, you know, we're reducing the intestinal hyperpermeability in the gut. We're helping yes. with the gut dysbiosis. Um, so I wanted to maybe touch a little bit on, um, foods because I have often, I'm a big proponent of a therapeutic intervention of the ketogenic diet. I actually like with, um, and I hear this all the time and I just, I, I want to, I'm going to cue this up for you because I'd love to hear your, um, your answer to it. But so often I actually like to initially remove a lot of plants. So I initially will sort of put them on more of a, car, what would might be considered more of a carnivore-ish type mm -hmm. of like nose to tail diet. I've seen, um, you know, I don't have a lot of good uh, studies. I have a lot of good clinical evidence and anecdotal evidence that that seems to really work for some of my AI patients, particularly my Hashi's patients. Exactly. So my, um, I like to do that. And then I, as we're sort of helping open up these detoxification pathways, we're helping to reseed the gut. Then I like to bring back plants. Mm -hmm. Um, I want, I wondered if you had any, um, uh, any comments on that in terms of a lifestyle intervention, if someone's listening, like frick man, like I'm, t this is like, this is me. I got the cognitive decline. I've got the constipation. I've got the hair loss. I've got all these things, you know, as a, and maybe they're working with a functional medicine provider and they're getting the natural desiccated thyroid or whatever combination is going to be working for them. In the meantime, as a parallel, what would be some of your best practices in terms of actionable items, in terms of, um, uh, you know, you mentioned gluten, but like what would be some food, uh, food, uh, like a macronutrient constitution perhaps, or a diet that you might be recommending? I mean, I always say start with a standard ancestral model and then you go from there. So the standard ancestral model would be some would say high fat, moderate protein, low carb. Some would say moderate protein, sorry, high fat, sorry, high protein, moderate fat, low carb. Some might go moderate fat, moderate protein. But again, we're all moderate right. protein there. And it's just yeah. a little bit of <laughs> whether right. the high fat. Yeah, <laughs> right. So so but but low carb. So what does that mean? Well, that means unless you're Michael Phelps or an Olympic athlete, you are really not eating more than 150 grams of total carbohydrates a day. And if you're five two, like I am, I'm a small person, you're, you know, so what do you where do you start at? I say, you know, just start to gauge your carbs at first. We really don't know how many carbs we're eating. We don't know what's in stuff. A baked potato has 64 carbs. You know, a pint of blueberries is 14. Do you even know? A green drink, which just looks, seems like a green juice, that's 27 grams of carbs. You're going to drink that in your day of 80? 
you know, these are things you have to think about at first. So if you can, you know, you can program your stuff and program your macros in, but I think it's more important to just kind of focus on carbs first. Let's, let's kind of lower that. I'd rather have people even overeating protein or a little fat, but I'd rather have them really lock in the carbs and the the types of foods. So I'd rather have you not eat canola oil, but eat a shitload of fat. Like I, I would, you know, so we want to eat. um, So you look at a paleo food list, of course, paleo ancestral. I, I love your approach to this. And I think that's important if people are highly inflamed with Hashimoto's and, you know, autoimmune issues, I would sometimes start with the one that most people could tolerate. It's very hard for people to even accept any kind of restrictions. So you can start with the AIP, the autoimmune protocol, a paleo one. So what does that mean? Well, people have found that if you have an autoimmune disorder, you have issues with foods high in histamines, for example. Um, so you have to look up foods high in histamines. Well, what's high in histamines? Leftovers. It's not even a food. It's a type of timing of food, right? Um, cinnamon. You put cinnamon in a coffee every day. Did you know that was high in histamines? Like avocados. Avocados are horrible for histamines. Yes. yes. Avocados. Um, yeah. There's a, the eggplant and tomatoes, you know? So, so these are the things. So look at an AIP food. Let's start there. Clean it out. Clean out the cardboard, blah, blah, blah. Then then maybe you dial it down even more. I mean, this is what happened with Paul Saladino, the, the, the main carnivore doctor guy. You know, he got rid of most of his eczema, went through a paleo thing, got clean. And then he, when he went off all the plant stuff, it really went away. So you might want to graduate there first, because here's the thing, like if you can do AIP and get away with it, well, that, that's a lot less harsher than going right to a carnivorous thing. But again, you might have to. So I have a couple of clients who have to be carnivore. Um, one of them eats like one peach, forget about it. I mean, one leaf of lettuce crones back. Like, I, look, this is their experience. <laughs> they feel great when they're carnivore. What are you going to do? Argue with that? Like that's, they're doing it right. Mm-hmm. So there are some people that just can't, but I, you might want to graduate there or start somewhere on the AIP first, uh, at least start low carb, start paleo. But if you have an autoimmune disorder, paleo AI, AIP for sure. But again, you might have to go to a stricter, like what Dr. Stephanie's talking about, which is like, you got to really pare it down and go off all of it. Carnivore can be extremely therapeutic. Um, I've seen it work miracles in people. Like it really is amazing. I mean, how can you deny when someone's like, I haven't had an intestinal issue for a year and I feel great. Like, we do? Tell them to go eat an apple. No, don't eat a freaking apple. <laughs> Just keep eating the liver. Um, I know some carnivores that have experienced with it and like they'll have one macadamia nut and then their leg breaks out and welts. Well, that says everything you need to know about that for them. It is an N equals one experiment. Um, for example, I took a food sensitivity test and uh, it uh, said I can eat garlic. Well, I can. I have a horrible issue processing foods high in sulfur. <laughs> so I, you know, will projectile vomit if I eat too much garlic. Am I going to follow a list or follow like what I'm feeling? I have no allergies to dairy. I'm part Scandinavian. Um, but if I eat dairy, I get a little mucus forming, you know, like stuffy because 65% of the population doesn't really deal with it well. Well, that's my indication, you know, like, all right, don't do it that much. Right. This is why singers don't eat dairy, you know, like Mariah Carey, Celine Dion, all these people, Adele, they're not eating dairy, not close to when they're singing, they're not because it is mucus forming for almost everybody. So, you know, these are the things you just experiment with. I do think all of these diagnostics are helpful. I thought the food sensitivity test I did was helpful. Thought the organic acids test I did was helpful. The heavy metals test. I mean, yes, but you have to get with a functional practitioner or someone like Stephanie, who's going to be able to take you through, be able to order some of these tests for you. Your local doctor on your insurance down the street, they don't know anything. In fact, 
Kaiser Permanente as a whole doesn't even test free T3 at all, at all. They just don't even test it. So, you know, sometimes you do have to go outside the box here. I will say this when I ask people how valuable their health is to them, they're always like, oh my God, invaluable, no worth any amount. But then they're not going to go pay 600 bucks to go see a functional medicine doctor that's out of pocket because they want to stay in their PPO with a 15 minute doctor that's going to tell them they're stupid for looking at B12 and they have no problem because they test the TSH. You're going to get your money's worth. And I would also say just statistically, it's highly unlikely that you're going to find a really high qualified doctor who just happens to be down the road from you. It just happens to be. I mean, maybe that, I mean, that is going to happen. You know, I haven't. I live in like Los Angeles. (laughs) Right, right. So you have to do, I I think this is, you know, such a good point that you keep coming back to, which is the responsibility of the patient to really do their due diligence and the jurisprudence around this. I think that's important because the likelihood of you finding just the perfect match for you, who's just, you know, has their shingle up down the road, uh, is, is and my, a my, low statistical significance. I live in downtown, like, you know, I live in Los Angeles, right? Lots of millions of, of expensive, amazing hormone doctors. I drive two and a half hours up the coast to see my doctor in a small little town, <laughs> you know, as, cause he's up there and it's hysterical almost to me. I'm like that every time I drive to see him, I'm like, I can't believe I'm leaving like the land of medical, whatever to go to where no one would think the right guy is, you know, Dr. Right. Gary Forsman is my doctor. And he's also the doc on my book. And for those, by the way, I have a free thyroid guide on my website, just free stuff that kind of lists all the tests I talked about and, you know, the protocol or what questions to call up and ask a doctor's office to maybe suss out whether they're an idiot or not, or this is not all foolproof, but you know, there's some things in there. And again, or just re-listen to this, this episode and, and write these tests down to get tested properly. Um, so that is available for anyone. If you just want to go like download it, or you're like, oh, I missed what's the list of tests. Um, and then, you know, finding yourself a functional doctor, someone like you, uh, anyone who's going above and beyond a naturopathic doctor, but a normal, and by the way, endocrinologists are the worst. They are the most indoctrinated. And that's what's really crazy because everyone will be like, well, I need to go find an endocrinologist because I'm dealing with something with the endocrine system. And yet they are the most uninformed on that endocrine system. I mean, it's almost comical. It's like a dark comedy, Stephanie, because these endocrinologists are the worst. They are the most indoctrinated. They have the highest level of ego. Um, and furthermore, the Endocrinologist Association wants everyone's T3 in the middle of the range, no matter who you are, what you want or whatever. So they're going to tell you no on so many things because they want to see it there and they're not budging. So they are the most indoctrinated and they're usually the worst people to see for these things. Unfortunately, you do want to get a DO, naturopath, someone like you, an MD who's a functional medicine doctor to figure yeah, it out. I would, I would say, and you know, endocrinologists and psychiatrists, those are sort of, you know, they don't, you know, you see, God, like God love them. Right. But they are the only branch of medicine that does no testing before they write a script. And I have talked to people, I actually, this is a personal. I was actually set up with a guy who was the head on a date with the guy who's the head of a, like the psychiatric at a hospital. And I was like, Oh God, I'm going to ask him this question. And (laughs) your brain's like, don't ask him, don't ask him, don't ask him. him." Yeah. Um, First of all, he was kind of crazy. I can't, he was on psychiatric drugs or something. I almost felt like I should call the hospital and be like, have you checked into that guy lately? Like, so, but anyway, I asked him, I said, so before you put someone on Prozac or, you know, an antidepressant or something, do you do a full thyroid panel? What do you think his answer is? No, absolutely not. They, don't they do test anything. It test the TSH. So here's the thing. You're being put on an antidepressant that won't work. 
It will only work for like a 30 days and then it won't work anymore because you never got to the root of the problem. They cure depression with what I take every day to stay unhypothyroid. You can fix depression by just giving someone, th- throw some T3 at a person. If I threw teeth, if I threw five micrograms of T3 at a person who was having a bad day and they didn't have a thyroid problem, they'd feel better. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying to go do that, but they would, they would. In a couple hours, it's they true. Go, yeah, there are more like, yeah. T3 receptors, I think estrogen receptors and T3 receptors in the brain. Yes. Yeah. Than anywhere else. Yeah. So that, and that's why it goes back to all those cognitive issues. So um, yes, I was horrified by this. It is malpractice to me. It is horrible that any psychiatrist would put anyone on anything for depression without testing the underlying causes of depression, number one, thyroid problem. I mean, like, right. uh, or B12, right? Or what are, these things we're talking about. Um, and again, yeah, pills usually aren't the answer. Um, and again, that's a pill that's doing something to your body that's sort of not meant to happen usually, um, which is why it does come with, you know, it's interesting that antidepressive drugs have side effects of suicidal thoughts. Or make you more depressed. Yeah. Isn't that fuck? That yeah. it, it, so it hurts me in my heart and my brain to know this. You know what I mean? Yeah. When like, why are they just giving people T three? Or wasn't there something else? Or let's test these people. Um, or maybe we want to validate the same goes for hormones. Yeah. So I had an example, and this is a perfect example. I had like a twenty five year old kid coming to this guy. He had horribly low testosterone, so the doctor just gave him testosterone. And eh, wrong answer. Now that doctor should have been like, why does a 25 year old boy, like a guy have low testosterone? Let me check his thyroid first. What do you think? Of course, he had a horrible reverse T3 thyroid problem. So in that case, if you just fix the thyroid, the, the, the testosterone comes back. He's a kid. It'll come back when your lipid panel is all screwed up because you're hypothyroid, by the way, it will be. Your lipid panel will look terrible and you're hypothyroid. And then your doctors would be like, oh, you need to cut off the saturated fat. And you're like, oh, F you, dude, it's the thyroid, whatever. Once your thyroid's fixed, your lipid panel becomes normal again. Because again, when you have low T3, you're not processing fat. You're not processing any of that stuff that's right. coming. So you have triglycerides spilling out into the blood system and you look like you're, you know, atherogenic. Yes. <laughs> you look like a mess. Right. And, you know, all of these things uh, are kind of off. So th- those are just interesting. And again, same goes with the mind or anything else. You always look to the thyroid. So if you're not in menopausal, perimenopausal years, doctors will just throw hormones at you. Like, oh, you have, you have a hormone imbalance. Why? Why do you have the hormone imbalance? Why did I get misdiagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which I never had after that, never really did have. It's because hypothyroidism is a disease state that caused me to have that temporarily. That doesn't mean it's a life sentence. So what was that gynecologist going to do then? He was going to treat me for the thing versus going, why does she have it? When I figured out myself why I had it, the hypothyroidism, I fixed that. I have never had a gynecological problem since. Never had an issue. Yet that mofo was going to be treating me with metformin and whatever. Again, patching, patching. So if you want to look like a freaking quilt, you get all patchworked up, but it's not going to be cohesive. You know, you and that's what these doctors do. So um, and then, you know, it's funny, that same doctor with the PCOS thing. I was in the steam room at a gym at that time in a different city uh, here in L.A. And I heard these two older women talking about doctors. I couldn't even see them in the steam room. And they mentioned the doctor's name who I'd just gone to. And I was like piping up because I'm like, and one of them's like, oh yeah, he did my hysterectomy. And then I was like, he did my hysterectomy too. And I thought, oh, I'm fucking out of here. Like this guy's uteruses left yeah. and right probably. And now was he a dummy doctor? Did he misdiagnose me? No, the ultrasound looked exactly like somebody with polycystic ovarian syndrome. The problem was the question wasn't asked why. And the understanding wasn't, oh, we can fix this in another way. 
We don't need to just keep patching the symptom of the problem that showed up. Let's get to the problem that showed up. And so that happens with hormones. So you, and I had doctors do that to me too. I was a hormonal mess as well, right? I was bleeding all the time. I developed a fiber bin in my uterus, a polycystic ovarian syndrome diagnosis. Like I was a gynecological mess during this time many years ago. And uh, I remember when doctor was like, you should take progesterone. You should do this. You should do that. It was actually a Chinese medicine gynecological surgeon from China who's an acupuncturist, very famous one in LA. That doesn't work. She's retired. She looked at me and she, literally broken Chinese, didn't even, you know, write in English. She was just like, no progesterone. Like, no, get you. She was the one that was like, you actually need thyroid hormone. She was the one that actually was like, this is what you need. And, um, that obviously fixed it. So these are the things that happen. And, you know, if you just get lost in it or someone's just trying to do patchwork, you're not really getting to fixing what caused it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Really, really well said. Man, I, you know, I, I just looked up at the, we've been chatting for two hours. Oh my yes, God. Yes. Such a juicy topic. Um, I, we haven't even scratched the surface. That's what I, I have so much more, I, you know, I have so many more notes and so many more points that I wanted to ch- chat with you with. And I think what, what I'd love to do, um, is to have you back on, uh, have you back on the show, because I think that there's, and I was saying to this dude in the pre-chat, you, you are so passionate, so articulate, so well-versed in thyroid function, but you also, uh, really talk to confidence and you talk about um, self-care. And I think that that is also another topic that I think is related to testosterone and related to thyroid in so many ways. So if you are um, okay with it, I'll officially ask you on air to come back and we can continue this conversation with thyroid and we can merge it into and marry it into a conversation around self-confidence, self-care and how we can begin to, uh, you know, take up more space as as women and and men. But, you know, my audience is, is primarily women. I want to mention one little caveat I thought of. So we're talking about hormones really quick. There's, there's a little bit of a thing. So when you're menopausal, let's say, so there's more, more estrogen will naturally bind with some of the thyroid hormones. So sometimes before menopause, people need a little bit higher amount of whatever dose they're on of thyroid hormones and maybe a little less after they go through that process, but there could be changes there that are related to that. So that's just a you know, a soup over here that could have some nuances to it. I just want to throw out to people, but anyway, yes, let's, let's talk again. And yeah, this was a, it was a good one. I know. And I, and I think that, you know, we, we, we can, we can actually start there. We can start with sex hormone binding globulin. We can start with estrogen. We can start with uh, all of that as it relates to thyroid uh, and menopause um, the next time that we, that we chat and I'll, um, we'll, we'll figure that out once we stop this recording. So tell me, uh, so people are inspired by you. They want to find out more about you. We've talked about your book. Where can people find you? Yeah. I mean, the best place is lrust.com. And I have a couple of free things on there. I have a free thyroid guide. I also have a free audio book of guided meditations and affirmations. One is on healing. The other is on abundance for the guided meditations. And then there's two affirmation tracks as well. Um, that's completely free. And I coach people all over the world, not just in, you know, solving their thyroid problems, but I also do writing coaching because I'm also a writer. So I mentor people. Uh, if people want to get a book done, I work with them privately. And I also do a eight week writing class. And then I teach a confidence course and I have of course, life coach people, you know, just wanting to up their game, be high performance individuals, or whether it be someone like just looking to, you know, not be a stay at home mom and want to start a business or something. So anything involving like encouragement, right? Self-esteem, like, yeah, that's all the coaching that I do. And then of course, specifically with the writing and that's a, that's a different ballgame, but yeah, lots to offer and you can find it all at lrust.com. 
And you recently also transitioned after being the primary host on Primal Blueprint with Mark Sisson. Uh, I think like what, 500 million downloads, something like that? 500 episodes and 20 million downloads. And I yeah. was the host for about seven of the eight years we had it. I worked for him for a decade. He was my mentor. He's a wonderful man. Um, yeah, and I recently just sort of branched off on my own. You know, they sold the company to Kraft Heinz a couple of years ago. So, you know, sort of moving onward and upward. And yeah, so I have the L Russ show and you can get that on lrust.com or just lrustshow.com. Um, I've released a bunch of wonderful episodes already and I definitely will have you on in 2022 uh, to, to talk more on that platform, but that's really fun. And that's everything. That's just, you know, I had Brad Thor, who's a New York times, number one, bestselling, you know, thriller author on to a woman who wrote a, a Celeste Headley wrote a book about let's talk about race. Um, you know, so just really a, a wide ver a variety of people coming on to talk about minds, everything to make your life better and more fun. Really. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we have all of those as clickable links in the show notes as well. El, this was just such I was I knew we were going to have a geeky magic carpet ride we totally did I'm so happy uh, that you spent the time thank you so much all right all right I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here this podcast better with Dr. Stephanie is for general information only and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine chiropractic or any other primary healthcare providers' advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only. 